welcome back to Outside is Overrated. This is the final episode of 2019, and it is the 19th episode of Outside is Overrated, the games of 2019. Just lots of 19s there. It's like 1919s. Well, that's my favorite thing about 19-year-olds. I get older, they always stay the same age. You know what 19 squared is? A lot. Yeah, like a super lot. (laughs) Today we are going to be discussing a cornucopia of video games that came out this year. We've got indie games, we've got phone games, we have some games that broke our hearts, and we have mighty heroes that stand above the rest. This is going to be a great show. Before we get into it, I would like to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. And joining me on the journey today is frequent co-host Hobby Box Burns. Welcome back, Joey. What have you been up to since we recorded about three weeks ago? Yeah, well, we had Thanksgiving in between the times that we last talked into these microphones. Uh, I should have said spoke instead of talk, but I don't know. I'm not an English teacher anymore, so I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, and apparently you do lose skills when you don't use them. Oh, yeah, all the, the time. English skill. You yeah. went from, like, 79 down to, like, 72 at best. Yeah, I'm, 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 and I'm going to get worse and worse as the show goes on. Um, yeah, I'm counting on it. <laughs> so, yeah, so we had our family's Christmas and Thanksgiving celebration, which are always on the same series of days so it was wednesday was christmas thursday was thanksgiving uh because my parents go down to florida uh after thanksgiving weekend they left on friday usually it's like the monday or tuesday after thanksgiving but this year it's like nope we're the f out of here right away do you think Uh, you'll ever uh like winter somewhere else i was talking to somebody about that recently i don't think so like i think i got my time like somewhere else yeah you moved to texas for christ's sake yeah and, and it's just like I don't know, like, the reason why I came back here was to be around, like, family and friends that are up here, and so maybe in 30 years I'll be sick of all you fuckers, but, like, (laughs) at this point, point, I would think that I would probably want to hang around to be around for things still, but, I don't know, who knows, I guess, lots of things can change between now and then. I dream about retirement with Phoenix literally all the time, and it it always involves Minnesota. I don't see myself wintering somewhere I'll see there, but I could see us being like up on the North Shore where like a bleak blizzard could just snow us in with all of our video and board games and like we have nothing to do but play games for a week straight. Sounds magical. I mean, that does sound like it'd be fun. That would have happened last weekend if you would have been up in Duluth. Uh, the 20 inches of snow they got. Yeah, we're going up this weekend. We're going to see Bentleyville, and it's closed right now because of all the GD snow. <laughs> well, hopefully they'll have time to plow that out of the way. Didn't play... A ton of games with the family. We did get a chance to play Wingspan again, uh, which I know was a favorite of yours for the last one. And a favorite of Pat's, too. Um, uh, The Rogue Hippo said he was going to destroy all of my birds with his birds. His army of bloodthirsty doves. Yep, and I tried to tell him that there's no combat in the game, but he he apparently wasn't going to take any of that. So bring it on, Pat. Bring it on. But the family really liked it, so I played it with my mom, who really likes birds, so that's the main reason why I wanted to play it. My sister, who, like, the most complex games she plays from a board game perspective are Tripoli and Sequence. And then my 14-year-old nephew, who hates school, and my 11-year-old niece, um, who is homeschooled. Um, I don't know what either of those two things have to do with Wingspan, but that's the, I guess that's the That's the cast of characters. That's the descriptor I gave. And everybody had a lot of fun. Like, it was really difficult at first, and it took a while to get into it. 
Uh, but once we kind of got into the flow and you started to build out your engine on the different lines, they were like, oh, this is really cool. If I play this, I can do this and this and this when I do this. Uh, and the my nephew, Hunter, like really got into it. Like I was surprised like how like quickly he picked things up since he I, I didn't I just didn't know if he was really going to get into it. So that was a lot of fun. My sister like bought it right after we got done playing on Amazon. So so it's, that was exciting. It sounds like the children in your family are more fun than my closest friends in the world. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> it's a low bar. It's a low bar. Low but, bar. <laughs> I also played Tapestry with uh, my nephew, and uh, he still beat me in a two-player game of Tapestry. I still have not won that game, even though I've played it six times now. Um, I'm going to bring your bloodthirsty doves. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say that that has to do with the fact that when you're teaching a game it's that much harder to focus on what you're doing. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use that as my excuse. And I helped him a lot, so technically I beat myself, so I won. It's like Duho and Pat playing Heroclix. <laughs> Is that usually what happens? Yeah, Pat just tells everyone what to do, and you know, one way or another, Pat's going to win. <laughs> well, I mean, that works, right? I mean, it, whatever makes it all make sense up here in my head. Why are you tapping your head? Well, because I was talking about my oh, head. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's a, it's a well, tick. Where are your shoulders, Joey? Uh, over around me? Yeah, and your knees. Down here? And your toes. Way down there. Well, yeah. one of them's up a little bit because my my foot's underneath my knee, but that's a game I play with my daughter. Oh, gotcha. Is yeah. she good at it? Better than me, probably. Yeah, she's yeah. she's rock solid. Yeah. It's been a while since I've really had to think about that. It, it took a took a bit. <laughs> as far as board games go, I I bought the game Gugong, uh, which is basically a Chinese bribery game in which you're trying to bribe enough people to get materials in order to meet with the emperor and win the game. It's a lot of fun. I enjoyed it a lot. I played it solo uh, because I bought it and I was really excited to see how some of the mechanics worked. So I played the solo variant of it. Solo variants of games are actually pretty fun. That's been a big focus of game of board games recently within like the last five years, having an Automa version of it. Yeah, that, playing Monopoly by yourself sucks balls. Oh, yeah, you just sit there and roll and roll. Although yeah. the NES version of Monopoly is like a very underrated like retro game. That game is fantastic. It's so much fun. You have eight computer characters that you play against that each have their like personality kind of. So I, if you have a chance to check out the ROM of that online, you should take a look at it. And if anyone listening to this spends their time seeking out and playing Monopoly on the NES, just stop listening to the show right now. I don't need to be friends with you anymore. No, send me a tweet. I'll actually respond to it if you play Monopoly. Take a picture of it and send it to me. Uh, Let me know if you're playing against Ollie or Maud um, and which piece you chose. And if you do, I'll give you a prize of some sort. Don't know what that's going to be, but I want a picture of the game like happening on the screen, and you tell me what who you played against and everything like that, I'll give you something. I don't know what. I don't know how I'll get it to you either. We'll figure something out. I don't know why we're friends sometimes, Burns. <laughs> Opposites attract. You know, just like Paula Abdul and that cartoon thing that was in the video. Because I think it was a cartoon, right? Jessica Rabbit? Well, no, it wasn't Roger Rabbit. Because it was her attracting to, and she was like the Jessica Rabbit sort of person. You were doing boobs with your hands. Well, yeah. I yeah. mean, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's Jessica Rabbit. Uh, anyway, I've played also a ton of video games, uh, mostly things that we'll talk about later, uh, specifically Return of the Obra Din, The Outer Worlds, and then 
our favorite from last episode that I really didn't know how to talk about, Death Stranding, which I'll talk about a little bit more this time. I can't wait to dive into it. <laughs> Fun fact from episode 18, I had a cold when we were recording, and I did a track just of my coughing. It was two minutes long. <laughs> wow. Two minutes of our podcast was just me coughing turned away from the microphone. <laughs> so that was my sweet cold leading up to Thanksgiving. Since the last time we recorded, it is February... It is not February. It is December 3rd tonight. It's been a long week already. It's only Tuesday. Ah, same here. I'm recording from beautiful Roseville, Minnesota. But since the last time we recorded, I celebrated two Thanksgiving, one with my family, one with Phoenix's family, and the cherry on top for me this year was I didn't get sick. Hooray! Yeah, last year I spent Thanksgiving Day throwing up repeatedly at my in-laws' house, and, like, it's no fun being sick under any circumstances, but, like, not having a home field advantage, like, <laughs> having to crash out on the guest bed, and, like, uh, I am a very loud barfer. <laughs> like, they could hear me from the kitchen table literally across the house. Um, so that was a great Thanksgiving for everybody. And then, of course, Phoenix got sick the next day when we were supposed to celebrate with my family, so we're stuck at the in-laws for another day. And, like, I'm still kind of sick and trying to watch over our, at that time, six-month-old child. And it's just, whew. Thanksgiving was hard last year. It was nice to just eat a whole bunch of food and spend time with the families this year. Yeah, it sounds like it. I also played a lot of things to get ready for this show, which is why my top five games that I missed out on this year maybe has some titles that wouldn't have normally made it. That's good. And I also signed up for Xbox Game Pass, and I freaking love it. That's good. I've heard lots of good things. I don't... I mean, I could try to do the PC one, but it seems like the inferior version of it. So it's really like if I, I need to get an Xbox in order to actually make the most of it. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, a lot of the games that I'm playing, I'm sure, have PC versions. You can plug in an Xbox controller. I think it's awesome. Like, the hmm. mix of first-party and indie games is really, really cool. And, uh, I mean, just some of the things that I've checked out on are Dead Cells and Subnautica and um, Slay the Spire, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, and... Outer Worlds, and it's just, it's a hundred plus games, not, there's no Spider-Man, there's no God of War, there's none of the PlayStation exclusives, which is too bad, but, you know, for 15 bucks a month, I think it's a tremendous value, and I think anyone with an Xbox that likes playing games should pony up for it. All right, let's dive into this show. If you want to be involved with Outside is Overrated, you can use our dusty old inbox that nobody has written into for many, many months, overratedpod at gmail.com. That's overratedpod at gmail.com. You can find both of us on the Twitter machine at Tom underscore underscore awesome and at hobbyboxburns. That's Tom underscore underscore awesome and at hobbyboxburns. Or follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash outside is overrated or on Instagram at outside underscore overratedpod. One page of the notes down, five more to go. Woo, this is going to be a great show, people. Yeah. <clears throat> I have kind of a love-hate relationship with indie games. I love that games come in all shapes, sizes, and art styles, but I have two ex- expectations with every game that I play. A, they have to be fun, and B, they have to look good. They can look different. Like, I appreciate a wide range of color palettes and artistic styles, but, you know, I'm sick of this pixelated BS. So, okay, so yeah, so because looks good is interesting because it's a very subjective thing. So for you, it's not that even if if it is like kind of like the pixel art types of things that, that has been popular for a while in a lot of indie games, that's an aesthetic that even if they do a really good job of presenting it and carrying it through, 
you don't find that that interesting, or not so much. Dead Cells uses uh, pixelated art style, and I mean it's it's okay-ish. It's not awful to look at, but I really expect a degree of polish with anything I'm going to play. Gotcha, and that makes sense. I mean, that's, it's, it's always interesting because different people are, are obviously uh, appeal varies between the different types of things that you see and play. And with indie games, because you look at like AAA games, they're very specific, like this looks like a AAA game, right? Uh, or this looks like a game that EA would make or that you know Bungie would make. But then you look at the gamut of different art styles that they come up with for some of these different indie games. It is interesting, but yes, even something that simple could definitely turn somebody off. I can think of a couple different art styles for indie style games that I really like. Dust and Legion Tale. I think that's a hand-drawn mm-hmm. game. That is just beautiful. And, um, oh, I just had another one right at the tip of my tongue. But I can't think of it, so whatever. I, I just expect things to not look crappy. So, like Pong. Yeah, yeah, totally out. Gotcha. Yeah. So here are some of the indie games. I said so. I'm going to have to put a dollar in the jar. Here are some of the indie games. Thank you. That caught our eyes this year. I'm going to start with one that came out in January. It's called Slay the Spire, which is available on PS4, Switch, Xbox, and PC. I've been playing it on Xbox Game Pass. So to give you kind of an overview of the game, by the way, Paul Churchian freaking loves this game and was arguing it as a Game of the Year contender. And it's, I think it's a lot of fun, but boy, that is a tall claim. <laughs> Anyways, in Slay the Spire, you're climbing a ladder of encounters. You fight monsters, there are merchants, there are random story kind of things that can happen with all kinds of crazy effects. Uh, there are fires that you can stop at to rest and recover your hit points or upgrade your cards. Combat against monsters is card-based, so you have, I think you start with a deck of 20 cards, and you draw a hand of cards, and you have a certain amount of energy to spend. You start a game with three energy, and then you can get different abilities and artifacts and stuff that might give you more energy. Each card has an energy cost. Depending on your hand, you can either damage your enemies or you can play armor to protect yourself from their attacks. You can also see what the enemy is going to do on their turn. So like you can see they're going to attack me for 8 damage. I need to pay, play defense cards that give me at least 8 defense and then I can fire away with my damage for the rest of it. After each combat, you earn rewards which include gold and a new card to add to your deck. So your deck is continually growing, your cards can be upgraded, and enemies can also give you negative cards that go into your deck. Interesting. Uh, the game, the base game has three classes. You start with only a warrior unlocked, then after your first playthrough, you unlock a roguelike character called the Silent, and then after you do a playthrough with the Silent, you unlock the third character, which I haven't messed around with yet. Okay. Now, my first game took about or just over an hour. It was a lot deeper than I thought. Like, I thought it would be this quick little thing, like, where you're burning through some combats, you're getting some rewards, and then, like, you're done. But it was much, much deeper than I thought. Interesting. So... As far as, like, the differences between the classes, is it an entirely different deck? Are there some cards that are the same across all of them? And then, like, is it a different hand size depending upon the class that you're playing, too? Like, what are what are some of those differences other than just the aesthetic? He looks like a big, beefy guy with an axe. <laughs> That's, a you know, a shadowed guy with, like, a dagger or something like that. Great question. There are basic attack and defense cards that I think there are at least five of in each deck to start. So. Okay. The decks are pretty similar to start, but then the upgraded cards that you get after defeating each, defeating a monster are wildly different. When I was playing with the warrior, the first class that you have unlocked, like uh, the, my strategy was basically just out smash everything. Okay. So I'd get a lot of things that boosted my attack. 
And when I played through with a silent, they get a lot of poison cards and things that give you more energy and more ways to manipulate. And I played like I did with the warrior, where I tried to just hit people hard, and that didn't work out so well. It was a much shorter game. That playthrough <laughs> was maybe 15 minutes. Interesting. And so, no matter how effective you are through like a playthrough, do you still get something to carry forward to add into those decks or to carry forward with that class moving into future playthroughs? Each one of the three classes has five unlocks. I got to the first one with the warrior. There's a point system based on how many enemies you defeat and how far up the spire you get and all the stuff you accomplish. Okay. Uh, so there are different unlocks, but I think you start the game largely similar each playthrough. You just have access to better cards the more stuff you've unlocked. Okay, interesting. And so then is there... Because it seems like you're, this is almost kind of like that Mortal Kombat like ladder system. Exactly. Is there a storyline about like you wanting to get to the top of the spire, or like is there, is there some narrative throughput to that, or nothing? There's, okay. Like there's random like encounters that you have. Like in one, you get kidnapped and you get thrown into an arena and you have to fight these monsters. Another one, I found a dead adventure and I had to choose whether to loot his body, which could give me rewards. But a monster could also show up. Like, there's a 25% chance oh, okay. the monster would come the first time I looted, a 50% chance the second time I looted. Interesting. Yeah, so very, very light on story. And it was a fun thing, but I could never see it occupying my time. Like, a lot of these story-based games, a lot of the AAA titles we're going to talk about a little bit later. But, you know, I thought it was a lot of fun. And I know that Church loved it, and I wanted to check it out. And as a great palate cleanser. Yeah, I've heard about it a bunch. That's why I kind of put a star next to it in my notes, because it's like, I really need to try that at some point. Xbox Game Pass, it's awesome. We'll see if I can get it. <laughs> yeah. Or there's tons of deals right now. There's a good chance it's on sale on Steam or on PS4 or something. So. Ideally, I would have gotten it on the Switch so it was portable with me. It's a great game to have on the go when you maybe don't have a lot of time, unless you go on a badass run as a warrior. But uh, <laughs> really cool game. Well, even though with that, though, you could still pause, put it to sleep, and then jump back in right after that. Which, I mean, that's what I always did with the Vita, too, which is why I really enjoyed the Vita when I was playing different things, oh, I could suspend be... Suspend is the greatest feature. Right in the middle of something. With PS4, I found that the suspend is not always so dependable. Sometimes you suspend it and you're like, I'm going to be able to jump right back in here. And it's like, oh no, I have to start the game from the start. And who knows where my save was before. <laughs> and sometimes it causes a debilitating uh, audio bug that completely <laughs> ruins the experience for one of your most anticipated games of the year. Who knows? So that's Slay the Spire. I recommend it. I'm not as bullish on it as Church, but you know, if it sounds interesting, check it out. Next up, Tetris 99. We talked about this a few months ago on the show. Yeah, quite a few months ago, and I can't, like, when when that was on the notes here, I was just like, oh yeah, that was this year. Like, it, it's crazy how much has happened, and especially with, like, video games, how backloaded the year always is with, it's like, all this stuff drops here, and it's just like... Crap. I, like, I couldn't even remember that. But yeah, so Tetris 99 is such an interesting concept. Because so, I remember when I brought it up on the podcast and I was like, here's a random game design that I came up with. And do you think <laughs> it would work? And then it's like, surprise, that's an actual game. Uh, so you're basically playing Tetris against 99 other people simultaneously. So very, very Battle Royale-esque. And what you're trying to do is every time that you create lines or create a Tetris, you are then sending blocks to other people. And you can you can specifically target people that are about to be eliminated. You see 
like images of 98 other people all the way around the screen and you can kind of keep tabs on who's there. It, it, it's a lot easier once you're down to about 15 or 10 people because then you can be like, okay, I'm going to really dick with this person. He's about out. It's interesting because the more that the game has gone on, because right away at first people are just like, I just need to keep making Tetrises and do all this stuff. But there's actually all sorts of different like techniques to do in order to amplify your points. And like chaining things makes a difference. And it's not always about just getting Tetrises. It's about constantly scoring rows uh, and, and knocking things down that just pile things up for other people. And so it's really interesting game and how that little bit of a combat element just sort of freshens up a game that, I mean, has been basically the same for 20, 30, 40 years. I don't know how long ago Tetris came out. It's been a long time, though. And so it's just really fascinating how that's caught on. And they've actually, Nintendo's done a really good job. They have, they have an expansion pack for it that you have to pay for regardless brilliant but it, it gives you the ability to play like against bots and to play alone and to practice it, it also gives you i think a few other like skins and stuff like that they've, the other thing that they've done a really good job of is they have these maximus cups i believe it's called and it's every it seems like it's been every two or three months they'll have a big tournament and the more times you win the more points you get through this maximus cup and it's like the top like two or three or four people in it end up getting enough like Nintendo coins where you could basically pay for like half of a game on the eShop. And then that's cool. Participating in those also give you skins for the game. So you could get the original like Game Boy Tetris skin for Tetris 99 uh, if you beat that. And so the blocks all look like that. It plays the music from that. So it's, it's really interesting what they've done to kind of keep the game alive and moving forward. And so it's just really interesting, fast, frenetic gameplay, and it just loops you into wanting to just say, okay, just one more game, just one more game. I know uh, one of my friends uh, from back home, he's kind of gotten addicted to it. I think he's won like 60 or 65 times. He, oh. It's just the one thing where it's like he's looking for a quick like palate cleanser um, instead of playing Gears 5 or instead of, instead of playing uh, Fire Emblem. And so he'll jump into that, play a, quick, a few quick games, and, and then sort of get his fix and then you know, move on with his life. So it's this really interesting game, really accessible. And the fact that it's free means anybody can play it as long as you have the online system for Nintendo. That's awesome. Tetris 99 is, is an example of why I love video games. There is something for literally everybody. I don't feel a burning need to play Tetris again. I'm not a big fan of Battle Royale, so this isn't really my cup of tea, but I'm glad that it exists. It's a cool thing it's a, that people can have a shared experience well and it was really interesting they just shadow dropped it like there was no inkling that this was going to come and then all of a sudden hey battle royal tetris have at it the next game i wanted to talk about is baba is you which came to switch pc and mac my understanding is that it's this weird puzzle game and it sounded cool when game informer guys talked about it yeah i've heard a little bit about it too it's one of those things where i've always wanted to check it out but i haven't had a chance but yeah it's like, there's logic that the game continues to build, and so you have to end up changing things in order for, like, it to match up where Baba is you. So it'll say, like, Baba is shoe, and then you have to, like, change something so that it, it's so weird and strange. I, my explanation, probably not doing it any sort of mm. justice, but a lot of people did talk a lot about that when it came out. I think it was 
early late spring or something like that, yeah, I believe. Probably between February thirteenth and April twenty fifth because I did the show notes <laughs> in chronological order. Sometimes I wrote down the date, sometimes I didn't. Yeah. So probably between February and April. And I did a terrible job of writing down the date, so that's okay. Next up, Steam World Quest Hand of Gilgamesh, which came to the Switch on April 25th. Now, I haven't played Steam World Dig. For some reason, this game sounded interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I don't really know anything about it. I mean, so How are I, you? I, <laughs> I had played Steam World Dig. I've heard that like Steam World Heist, so it's like this whole kind of like connected world of very different video games that this developer has made. I've heard SteamWorld Heist is pretty interesting. I actually have not heard much of anything about SteamWorld Quest, though. Well, check it out or don't. <laughs> it's a game that came out this year. <laughs> I'm glad you put the next title on the list. I saw it on the list of games that came out this year, and I didn't know anything about it, so uh, why don't you tell us about Warhammer Chaos Bane? Yeah, so Warhammer Chaos Bane, I, I stumbled across it on the PlayStation Network early last year. And you're a Warhammer fan. Maybe not yes. a super, super deep lore guy. Is that? Oh, no. I used to... I was So that was actually what I connected with more, because I had a hard time actually building, painting the models and getting them onto the field. So I would just buy the books, read the books and get really big into it. And especially the empire faction, which is basically the human faction. And, and so I really got into that. What's and, wrong with elves and stuff, Joey? I mean, elves are fun. Like the high elves are, are, are interesting. Dark elves are kind of cool. And, and like the lore and mythos behind all those differences in the different races is really interesting. But so, so Warhammer Chaos Bane was like the perfect game for my sensibilities. And so when I saw it on there, I pre-ordered it for the highest like value that you could get, like the Magnus Edition, I think it was called, so that I would be able to get to play the beta every time that they put the beta out, and I would be able to just, to just get all the DLC whenever they would put DLC out. And so, yeah, so it's a Diablo-style game in the Warhammer Old World, which four years ago was destroyed and they ended the original game of Warhammer and created Warhammer uh, Age of Sigmar, which is not as interesting, not as fun. I bounced off of that one really hard. And we talked about that a little bit on the show when we did the, uh, was that the Midwest Gaming Classic one where you just come back from Adepticon? Adepticon, yeah, that would have been the case. So So I think that's April or so if you're interested in checking the archives. Yeah, so the game has lots of similarities to Diablo. It's your typical hack and slash Similar to like the console versions of Diablo, you have each of your different kind of skills that you get for your character class are mapped to the face buttons, uh, and then you get some on the R1, L1 buttons also. And it has four different classes, so you have your typical ranger, your magician, then you have like a fighter, and then you have a berserker type of class, uh, slayer to be specific. And... I think the thing that really hooked me when I played it, and I always, I still wonder if anybody else would find it interesting, is that, so it takes place in the city of Nome, at least the beginning of the game does, which is like where my faction of Warhammer, like the the guys, the troops I built were from. And so seeing like the iconography of everything, and it takes place kind of like in the older Warhammer old world storyline. So it's like talking about Magnus the Pious, who was like a famous leader of the faction that I played. And so it was just this, just so much nostalgia that like connected with me 
that that's the thing. I just don't know if it would be interesting enough for somebody else that like was just a Diablo fan and never really cared much about Warhammer storyline. I just don't know if they would find it interesting or not. But for me, it really clicked, at least to the point where I played it for a while, got distracted by who knows what games came out around that time, and uh, then just sort of never got back to it. But I'm hoping to here over the next couple of months. Sounds cool. I'd like to check it out. I love Diablo-style games. Diablo-style games are cool. You know what else is cool, Burns? Um, farting against a wet, like, wall? Gross. <laughs> no, Burns. It makes just such a... Go ahead. It makes just such a what? No, you can finish your thought. Just, a, just like, a, like a, a, an interesting sound. It's like a trumpet slightly underwater. Here's a fact about me that people always find astounding. I never fart. Like, only when I'm using the bathroom or apparently when I'm asleep. Oh, seriously? Never when I'm consciously awake. I moved back to Minnesota in 2011, and I have not farted since I moved back. There's no no way that that's true. I swear to God, like, I never do. Like, my insides will rumble and gurgle and, like, boil up and be, like, audible from across the room. Never fart. (laughs) I did not know that about you. That's true. Yeah, well, now you know the world. Knows it. So thanks for bringing us down that rabbit hole. Hey, I finally got one of those. You get so many of those with me that now it's like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, give one to Burns. Yes. Exploring derelict ships in space is cool. So Void Masters. God, I hate it when I say the word so. Why do I always say so? Put another dollar in the jar. Derelict my balls. (laughs) Sorry. It's just Lance used to always say that, so I had to throw that out there when he said derelict. I love that movie. The files are in the computer. <laughs> Void Bastards on Xbox One and PC came out on May 29th. I thought it was on PS4 too, but maybe not. My list that I stole from Game Informer of all the games that came out this year only said Xbox One and PC. It's a space shooter. You play as a convict from a prison ship. You're sent off to explore derelict vessels to scavenge for parts. And if you die, a new convict is just unthought and sent off to continue the mission. The art style is cel-shaded. It's kind of like Borderlands with a South Park make-it-crappier kind of aesthetic. <laughs> nice. That, 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 is, that is a thing that they have. Yeah. So it was like right on the border of looking good enough for me to be interested. Like, stuff looks kind of dorky and crappy in it, but it's fun. So, I don't know. I lived with it. So, on a ship, you can go to the helm to download the location of all the resources on the ship, and random enemies will be wandering around, and there will be some turrets and stuff. Sometimes you have to restore power before you can go up to the helm and download the stuff, and you only have a limited supply of oxygen, which you can recharge on the ships. It sounds like a big conglomeration of stuff, but basically you're just... You have limited ammo, you're wandering around the ship trying to find stuff that you can use to craft new gear for future runs. So, like, once you... Create a grenade, you have access to grenades for all the rest of your future missions. Oh, okay, cool. So sort of like roguelike elements there, where once you get it, then you get it all the way moving forward. Yep, absolutely. Okay. And also, this is a weird connection, but it had like an FTL feel to it, which is, FTL is a very different game where like you're in space, you have a ship, you have different compartments that control different things, but I just got like, it was like you're walking around the ship in FTL. Okay, interesting. If you had to look between the two, and I know you said they're very different games, I'd only play one, Void Bastards or FTL, which would I play? FTL. FTL is awesome. Okay, okay. It's 
old now. It's been out at least five years. It's not everything, but FTL was an awesome game. Void Bastards, also pretty cool. I'm not the biggest shooter fan, so maybe that skews my okay. perception a little bit, and it's not the tightest shooter in the world. But the thing that sets Void Bastards apart from some of the other games that I play is just that lonely feeling of being out in space and being on the ship, and it's like, all right, I have this much health. Do, can I really afford to go into this other room to look for some more pens and food and gas? Mm-hmm. Or should I just book it back to my shuttle and uh, go on to the next ship? Interesting. Now, you said FTL, and that made me think of another game that I'm pretty sure came out this year, which is Into the Breach, which yeah, is Yeah, I think it came out last year. Did it? Pretty sure it came Was out it? last year. Oh, okay. Well, then... By the makers of FTL, where you have yeah. uh, mechs fighting Kaijin. I heard it's really good. I heard it's pretty awesome. I have too, but, you know, $15 isn't a lot to pay for a game, and it's on sale all the time, but I just have a hard time pulling the trigger. I have such a library of other games, and like, I really like those creators, and I'm sure it's awesome, but I just haven't been able to pull the trigger on it yet. No, it makes sense. It's tough. I mean, there's so much, and it just you just add it to the pile, right? Exactly. And, like, I have a Steam library of at least 100 games. I've probably played maybe 40 of them. So, for some reason, I was looking at the library on my PlayStation 4. How many games do you think I have in my library on my PlayStation 4? 267. It is just... Actually, I just bought three games. It is right at 401 games. I guess you get games with gold. That's two games every single month. We've been on PlayStation 4 for four years. That's 48. That's 90-some games right there. Yeah, so, like, the PlayStation Plus games alone are... Because some of them, it's, like, a double dip between when they would do two for Vita also, and some of them also are on PlayStation 4. So, like, I think it's, like, 170 of them are PlayStation Plus games, which is bonkers to think that it's, like, those are all those games I got for free. But then it's even crazier to think all the other ones I paid for <laughs> in some way, shape, or form. Well, you're a big bargain shopper, too. Like, I'd true. wager that most of those you found a good deal on and you just pulled the trigger. Yeah, yeah, I tend to do that too much. You know, you sold me your uh, old PlayStation Pro and you upgraded to the fancy limited edition one. I'm like, why don't you just keep the library on it, Burns? Well, because that's, doing to me that's not how it works. I needed to make this one my primary and then you wouldn't have access to the games anyway. So. And then if I could have like logged on as you, I just could have bought all the games. Well, between all between the two of us, we'd own everything. I do have some money, but I don't have that much money. <laughs> We'd make it work. Maybe. There may be something inherently cool about indie games, but I do not feel the same way about phone games. (laughs) I am currently a slave to Star Wars, Galaxy of Heroes, and Marvel Strike Force every single day. Are you playing any dumb phone games? Uh, The Game of Thrones Conquest game. You still Um, on that? Well, so I go in and do, like, the things I need to do on a daily basis. Um, The answer is yes. I'm no longer in a guild... I, I don't really participate in any activities. I just, like, collect the resources quick and put my shield back up so people don't level me. Sometimes I miss that while I'm in the middle of watching a movie and my watch and my phone keep... Oh, yeah, some fucker leveled you. So, yeah, I mean... Sounds awesome. Yeah, I, I love that game. It sounds like it. <laughs> There are a couple of phone games that I thought were pretty notable this year, so we're going to spend just a couple minutes talking about them, yeah. starting with Elder Scroll Blades. Have you played that at all? I haven't. Like, you mentioned that earlier in the year, and I was like, I should download that and give it a shot, and I just, it never, like, matriculated back into my brain again. It is a pretty fun Elder Scrolls experience. 
There's little bite-sized dungeons. There's a big tech tree to explore. Like, the leveling in it is really surprisingly deep. Hmm. And I know that Charch hates it with a burning passion. <laughs> and a lot of our friends have a lot of admiration for Charch. But I thought it was a pretty cool little thing. Charch has those things, though. He has certain games that he, like, just is, like, has everything out for it. And he's going to sing it from the mountaintops. And he, like, with Death Stranding, apparently, will get... Ass tons of flack for it sometimes. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I'm intrigued by it. I should give it a shot, and then I'll stop playing it after about five hours like every other Elder Scrolls-ish type game. So One thing that I should note on it, it's not like an energy-based game. So you can literally play it until your phone battery dies. Which supposedly is fairly fast, right? I don't know. I mean... <laughs> I heard that was a knock right away, but I heard they fixed some of that with, with patches and stuff. Possibly. I mean, it looks phenomenal, too. Like, the graphics are the, by far the best in any phone game that I've seen. Interesting. So, Elder Scroll Blades, if you're looking for a quick little fantasy diversion on your phone, I like it. I think it's fun. There's lots of other quick little fantasy diversions on your phone. It's like the things where you have, like, the harem of women... Like, there's all sorts of games that are like that, where it's like you do these other pieces, kind of like what you would do in the Game of Thrones Conquest or, like, Mobile Strike or whatever, those ones that, like, they had uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger doing the things for for a mm -hmm. while. But then there's this side thing where you get, like, this harem of women that you, like, you court and you find and you marry them and you end up marrying, like, 30 of them. And then part of the game is that you have offspring that you then trade to other people in order to get points and stuff. Nope. Mobile games are weird, dude. Yeah, they are. <laughs> um, so, so we're using using our patented. Uh, tr <laughs> Every time we say so, we're gonna put a dollar in the jar. Then we are just gonna have like we're gonna go on a cruise with our. It's gonna be our so cruise, our so cool cruise. So cruise. Yeah. So. 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 So suck your toe all the way to Mexico. That's what my mom always says. I, it's, I don't get it. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a momism. Uh, but Apple Arcade. So that's a new thing that came out over the last couple of months. And I jumped into the free trial over the last couple of days. It was like a week ago, I guess. And so I've played a few things off, off of that that are interesting. Are you familiar with what Apple Arcade is? Not at all. I've okay. heard the term Apple Arcade and I'm like, I bet I have to pay for that. And I bounced. Yeah. So Apple Arcade is basically... This is America, for Christ's sake. Everything on my phone should be free. Give me all the news. Well, Give so me all the games. Apple Arcade is Xbox Game, game Pass, but for mobile games. Yeah, who wants to play all that crap? Well, so here's is the there thing. there Gears 5 on it? There's no Gears 5 on it. Outer Worlds? No, there's some interesting things, though. But the really... The cool thing about it is it's... So it's $5 a month. And right now they have a library of like 70 or 80 games. And they say it's once they get up to 100 games, it's never going to be below that. And the big thing that they say is that you cannot have microtransactions at all in any of the games that are in Apple Arcade. So once you get the game, you have all of the game. It's not going to have limiters where you can only play for so long and then you have to rest. So it's supposed to be... Their whole thing is they wanted this to be somewhere where they could cultivate. These are like actual gaming experiences as opposed to what the no, normal mobile game kind of trash is. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting because some of them are from like designers that have made other games. So one of the ones I have on the list is Mini Motorways. You ever heard of the game Mini Metro? Nope. So Mini Metro was a game where you designed subways. And so you would have to start and like 
you would have like the red line, say. And then these spots on a map have to be connected to a red line. And then you'll have a blue line and these will need to be collect connected to a blue line and you draw them out. You, you Eventually you can make them like delete tracks and make it more interesting. So it's kind of like a puzzle game. So mini motorways is the same type of thing where you get these buildings. They're basically like malls. And then you have houses that are the same color and you need to build a road that will connect them. Hmm. Then you will get other houses and other malls that are different colors. And so you need to then, using the same motorways or different ones, like chain them together. And then you have to put in traffic lights to help like ease congestion. You can actually build big like highways that can go from one side of the map to the other. And it's a really, it's like different enough for Mini Metro uh, that it's still interesting and gives some new challenges. And so, I don't know, if you do get Apple Arcade, I would recommend giving it a shot. Because it's, it's just intriguing and it's a nice little, I wouldn't say, it's hard to say a mindless puzzle game because you have to be thinking when you're doing it. But it's one of those that you can just kind of chill out, draw the lines, see what works, delete it quickly if it doesn't, and do different things. And it does a really good job as, as you're going through it, like presenting you with new challenges. Not for me, I'll be in Tamriel. What else you got on Apple Arcade? So then there is Grindstone. So what Grindstone is, is you're familiar with like your typical match three kinds of games where you have to like line up piles or stacks of different things. So this takes that in a little bit different direction. So it's, it's kind of Norse themed and you're just this big sword master guy and you get these little creeps of different colors and you have to draw a line between the different creeps. And if you draw a line where you kill 10 of the creeps at, or 10 of the same color of creeps, then you get a grindstone out on the map. So when you hit a grindstone, you can jump from one color of creep to a different color of creep. And so you're drawing these lines across there, trying to chain together as big of attacks as possible to get more grindstones, which are what you can use then as a currency to buy new equipment or buy new skills. And it's just really interesting game of presenting you again with kind of new puzzle elements as you're going through it. And I, I actually kind of dig the graphical style the way that they did it is it looks kind of like a match three, but then it also kind of looks a little bit like it has its own personality and matches sort of that kind of grungy Norse theme sort of, I guess, would be the way to explain it. Uh, so I've been messing around with that a little bit, too. Uh, that's one, I think, from a review standpoint, that's gotten a lot of really good reviews from there. And that's from Cappy Games, who have done a lot of other like console games, too, uh, as far as indie games go. That sounds fun, but also it reminds me why I hate phone games. Well, so then there is What the Gulf. And, and What the Gulf is... So this is the one game, when I've heard on different podcasts people talking about Apple Arcade, where they're like, I really don't want to say much about What the Gulf, and I want you to just play it. Are you familiar with WarioWare and, like, the WarioWare games that were on DS and things like that? Yes. So... Like little mini-games with a wide variety of, like... Things. Yeah, so so for this, it's it's it has similar to that in personality, I would say. So it starts off as you would think a golf game would be. So you pull back on the screen, and that gives you your power meter, and then you're swinging to try to hit the ball into the hole. So then the second level that you get to, you'll pull back to swing, and then the club flies instead of the ball. And then the third one, you pull back, and then the man flies. Hmm instead of the ball and then it does different things so like one will be called hole in one and you swing and it's the hole goes 
and you're trying to get it into this big number one. And then each course ends up having three different levels that you can try to unlock. And as you unlock it, you're sort of going through it's I think they call it the Gulf Factory and you're unlocking different areas. But what it does then is it gets into certain areas that will have themes that are very different than golf. So, for instance, one of them is soccer and everything are like these puzzles around sort of that are soccer related. So sometimes you have to dribble a ball around these kids that are trying to knock the soccer ball away and kick it into the net. Yeah. And then there's other ones that make fun of like other games and has like it with the same mechanic of dragging and like the distance to move things. But it, it, it plays off of different different games from history. It's a really interesting, fun ride. I'm about, I think I'm about halfway through it. And uh, it's, it's another one of those that's really good to just sort of turn your brain off. Oh, okay, this is what they're doing with this. And then try to perfect it. Try to get better at it. Uh, so, yeah, so that's What the Golf. Like I said, there's a zillion games on there right now. Uh, a lot of the ones that I've tried are more puzzly types of things, uh, which makes sense for, like, the touch screen on a phone. Uh, but it's interesting. I would recommend, I mean, it's a one month free trial. Just make sure you cancel it before the $5 gets charged to you the next month and you're probably golden. So it's probably worth a shot, especially if you wait a couple months when they have more games on there, you can try a bunch of different things and then just be done with it. I hate cellular telephones. <laughs> the last one I wanted to mention I haven't played this. I know that your roommate slash roommate's wife, Bridget's a full-on roommate, right? Yes, yeah. Your roommate, Bridget, has been playing Harry Potter Wizards Unite. It's like a Pokemon Go-style game in the Harry Potter universe. Is she still into it? Like, do you know anything about it? Like, um, Pokemon Go is such a phenomenon, and Harry Potter has such a big following. Like, I think it's an interesting thing, but yeah. I hate playing things on my phone, so I never really checked it out. I think she played it for a little bit. I think she reverted back to Pokemon Go. Because she's just so into that and has been for how long now. And so I think that's she reverted back to just playing Pokemon Go exclusively. Because uh, she's used to it and she's, I mean, she's level God knows what, super high. Something I would never get to even if I jumped into it now and played it every day. So People love that game. And, you know, it's not for me, but God bless them. There's a game for everybody. Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting concept. It's just one of those things where after a while, it's I don't really need to do the same thing over and over and I over again. I do not again. need to catch another Pidgey ever again. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I've got how many of these? I'm going to turn the fuckers into candy just so I can use it on, like, Pidgeotto, who I don't want either, you know? <laughs> yeah, Pidgey <laughs> candy. I missed out on Harry Potter Wizards Unite. There are a handful of other games that I missed out on this year. So here are Tom Awesome's top five games that I missed out on. It's time now for... The Final Countdown! Tom Awesome's top five countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Number five, Yoshi's Crafted World. Looks like kind of a fun game. Uh, I had played some Kirby's Epic Yarn and some, uh, what was the other Yoshi's game? Yoshi's Epic, no, not Yoshi's Epic Yarn. There's a Yoshi game that was also uh, like a crafted art style on the Wii U. We played a bit of that, and they're fun games. They're fun co-op games. They're bright, they're colorful, and I think it's a cool art style. Well, not cool, but a fun art style. Aside from Super Mario World, I have never played a Yoshi game. 
Yeah, I think this Yoshi's Crafted one was the only one that I have. Not Yoshi's Crafted World, because that came out this year, but the game that I can't remember, that was on the Wii U. Yeah, something like... No, that's Paper Mario. It's no. not that. Nope. The world may never know. The Wii U shall forever live in obscurity. Mine is actually right over there on top of that bookshelf behind the radio. So, like, Is it propping the radio up? It's not. It's plugged in, so like I could, in theory, power up my tablet and play my Wii U games that I wanted to play. Like There are a handful of games that I really wanted to play, but I just never turned the damn console on. And, and like in another year, they'll all be on the Switch anyway. So I it's hope like, so. It's like it never everything's just... coming to the Switch. Mm-hmm. I know I'm super excited for the uh, Fire Emblem slash Shimigami Tensei slash Persona crossover game. Tokyo Mirage Sessions, that's the name of it. I- I'm really excited to jump in and play that when that comes out next year, so... They made those games on the Wii U, too. Mm-hmm. 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 Number four, Luigi's Mansion 3. Mario! I haven't played a Luigi's Mansion game, either one or two. I bought number two on the DS shortly after it came out, because Phoenix was also intrigued by it. And then, you know, I just never played the 3DS again. Yeah, I've uh, never played any of the Luigi's. I tried to pl- Actually, I, I have to take that back. At Dave & Buster's, there's a Luigi's Mansion arcade cabinet where you're sitting inside of a thing and you get like the vacuum controller i played that once was it awesome it was interesting i really didn't grasp what i was supposed to be doing a hundred percent supposed to be sucking up the ghost well i figured that much out but it's like is there something more to this and i'm guessing there is in the actual game but oh i i I, looks cool i like the switch i want to play it it came out on october 31st that's cute Totally. Yeah. Number three, Vader Immortal. Now, I may never actually play this game. Now, there's my other transition word again. I may never actually play Vader Immortal because I don't know if I'll ever pony up for VR, but, you know, the Oculus Quest makes it a pretty compelling case, and that would be the system that I got, and Vader Immortal would be the game that I dove into. If well, I... And what's the big thing everybody wants to do in VR or in general, is have a lightsaber and fling it around. Yeah. And that's why Beat Saber is one of the most popular VR games is because you've got two fucking lightsabers and you're bashing these blocks and it looks cool and it's like... You yeah, know? it looks cool in those commercials for VR too where reality tries to come in and it's this dorky dude. It probably looks as cool as I just did when I was yeah. doing it. It looked like I was like... <laughs> you know, autistic uh, conductor of a band kind of thing. Number two, again, The Division 2. Hey! I didn't play the first Division game, but I heard good things about it, and I was intrigued, but I don't play a lot of shooters. With Division 2, I don't know why I feel so compelled to play it, but I bought a copy, I got it on sale for like 30 bucks this on Black Friday weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, last weekend. Black Friday is the real reason we celebrate. Yeah, Black Friday, that's what brings the people together. <laughs> it's on sale for 15 bucks at Target. Hopefully I can get some friends together to play it, because it's a military or police-based shooter. I don't know, it's a living world shooter, loot gatherer, and those kind of games can be fun, especially with friends. Well, and it's it's interesting that you bought it on Black Friday, because the whole the whole story behind The Division, are you familiar with how the what happened in the world? Yeah, something bad happened in D.C., and there was a lot of snow, and uh, you had to shoot everybody. So it was in New York, but throughout the United the States... the second one in D.C.? Yes, the second one is in D.C. Yeah, that's what I meant. But what they did was the dollar flu. And what happened was is someone had used chemical weapons and put them on money in circulation. And people on Black Friday spending the money got the money that was in circulation, and lots of people died of it. 
totally unrealistic because everyone pays for everything with cards now. Yeah, I mean, well, computer virus. Yeah. Got number one on my list for the top five games I missed out on this year. Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah, I mean, I could almost say I missed out on that too because I bought it. I played the first two hours of it, but I haven't dug into it as much as I wanted to. I am surprised by that. I'm on a big Star Wars kick right now because we're going to do a Star Wars show in January and we're preparing for the ninth movie and I'm just all about Star Wars right now and Fallen Order mixes Star Wars with my favorite medium and I am so excited for it. And it has killed it in reviews, so by all by all metrics that you could look at, it's a pretty stellar game. I can't wait to borrow your copy and never give it back to you. <laughs> yeah, that's how it usually goes. You have any thoughts on things that I missed on my list that we're not going to talk about later in the show? Yeah, I think one that I meant to put later on in the show, but I completely missed it, was Sekiro. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> now, it doesn't qualify for the top five because uh, I didn't miss it. I played some Oh, you Sekiro. did play some of Sekiro. Yeah, I'm going to write it down on the notes. We're going to circle back to Sekiro. Because okay. that, yeah, that's the one other than Resident Evil 2, which I just bought, Resident Evil 2 Remake which I bought on uh, Black Friday sale on PSN. Like, that is another one, but that one's so daunting to me because I hear it's like Souls games, but imagine if it's a Souls game that's difficult. And it's just like, oh, that's what I need, a game that's even more difficult. (laughs) Uh, But I've heard lots of good things, so Sekiro would probably be one that would be on the list for me that I missed out on. It's awesome, but you're not a big Souls game guy, so I don't know if it would be for you. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but that was one of my most anticipated games of the year, and it did not let me down. Gotcha. Before we move on to our next segment, we would like to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. Premier Health has solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident and work injuries, and more. We suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN.com. One of the biggest trends in gaming in the last couple of years was the absolute explosion of Battle Royale games. Starting with PUBG, followed by Fortnite and Call of Duty Blackout, they were all massively popular titles, and there were a couple of notable new entries in this genre this year. First up, Realm Royale, which is a fantasy-themed Battle Royale game. What I think makes this really neat, when you die, you turn into a chicken and you have a chance to escape. Like, someone kills you and then they have to kill your chicken to actually score the kill. So it, it's interesting because I've heard that name before, and for some reason I always just put it, I was thinking it was that Clash Royale, like phone game, but it's something completely different. Completely that, different, right? yep. Wow. That's, this is the first I've heard of this game. I remember uh, hearing about it on the Game Informer show yeah. where I get a lot of my information from, and uh, you know, it was just a battle royale game with a fantasy tilt to it. Instead of like having guns, you have bows and arrows. Interesting. And I mean, swords. That sounds intriguing. Yeah. The other one that came out this year, another surprise launch. I haven't played this title either, but I know you have. Mm-hmm. Apex Legends. Yeah, Apex Legends. So like Jedi Fallen Order, Apex Legends. Titanfall 2. Titanfall 2, it's like... Respawn games. Yeah, like, whoever is the person at EA, Electronic Arts, who was like, we should buy Respawn. Like, that dude saved the company. Because if they didn't have that, all they would have is their retread sports games that they have every year. That make billions of dollars. That makes a lot of money. But it, but, and then Sea of Solitude, which was a mediocre indie game. 
It's like that's all they would have if they didn't have Respawn pumping out these really interesting and like genre defining games. So it's it's fascinating. It makes sense. I mean, these are the guys that created Call of Duty and made it what it was. They'd also have Anthem, which we'll talk about a little later. Oh yeah. That 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 was so phenomenal. Bioware, like, whew, if they yeah. survive like the next two years, I'd be surprised. But yeah, Apex, defining games. Yeah, Apex Legends is really interesting. So it basically take Overwatch and the hero-based elements of Overwatch and mix that with a battle royale game. So you play Apex Legends. Usually, unless there's a special thing, in a team of three players. And so what you want to do is you want to try to choose players across your team that end up, like, sort of cohabitating really well together. So there's some synergies between that. So you're going to have one person that would be maybe more of a healer, somebody that's going to be more so of like a tank. a tank, a DPS, and a healer. Got a, it. A lot of it. I mean, that's that's the brass tacks of it. And then each one of them have, like, one or two special abilities that can be really key. And I think the other thing that they did in this game that a lot of Battle Royale games didn't do before them was the ability to, if one of your teammates comes over, they could revive you. And if it's within a certain amount of time, they could just revive you right there. Otherwise, what they can do is they can grab your flag, take it back to a base, and you would regenerate there. So, Because that's one of the biggest problems, and maybe one of the selling points of Battle Royale games, is that once you're out, you're out. Call of Duty Blackout, you get like five lives. Yeah, but it's like, so this was just really interesting in how it did that. And the gunplay felt really good from what a lot of people said. Now, for me, the reason why I only played two games of it is because it's team-based. And every time I played, I felt like I was dragging our team down immensely. And so it's one of those games where I probably wouldn't play it again until... Like, I had you and one other person. So we could all suck. So we could game. all suck together. And at least I don't feel like I'm ruining some dude's day by just being super sucky as Gibraltar, just sort of lumbering through here. And it's like, oh, I don't like this gun. I don't like this gun. And it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to... I'm dead. You care too much about other people. After everyone <laughs> else. If you're having fun, forget what everyone else needs. I guess that's true. Do you enjoy... The Battle Royale games? Or have you ever really played any of them? I have played two games of Fortnite. Okay. I played maybe a dozen games of Call of Duty Blackout. Okay. And that is about it. Not really a genre that I enjoy. I don't like playing the same map over and over again. Like, I don't know. For whatever reason, it just never clicked with me. Yeah. Like, Battle Royale genre has always been one of those things that I find more interesting to watch really good people do as opposed to me actually trying to play it. And even if it's We're not... We're dude. Well, and even if it's not people that are really good, it's like people that at least know enough of what they're doing and are fucking around within the game mm-hmm. to some extent. Because I've seen a couple of times when people would just get into a car in PUBG and just cruise around and then try to shoot people as they came across them. And then it's like, oh shit, we got to get all the way over there. And they're like flooring it across this bridge, which is a huge choke point. And all of a sudden the car just rolls off the side of the bridge and everybody's like, shit, who's going to live? Who's going to live? You know? And so that could be fun. That could be interesting. But aside from that, I just, I don't really, I just don't really get much out of playing them because I'm, I'm not a good enough shooter player, I don't think. I think I might be in that same boat with you. Emerging gameplay, there can be some moments there, but for me, it makes me think of Ghost Recon Wildlands, where like the emerging <laughs> gameplay moments that 
I recall are sticking C4 in the helicopter and blowing it up in the air, or bailing out of the helicopter while you were all in menus, or well, right. and then, tag, or... Well, and then, like, the who's reason... Who's running through the base? <laughs> it's like Lance was yelling Khan, only it was Tom. <laughs> Basically. So, Overwatch. Because, like, that's what I was doing in my head here. I enjoy Overwatch, and I can play Overwatch and feel like I'm contributing because there's so much more you can do in that game and be effective, and... The missions that you're doing or the objectives within the different games aren't just like outright shooting people and killing them. Like it's not about KD ratio. It's all about doing something so that your team can achieve an objective. And I've always been like, even way back in the day with Call of Duty and Battlefield and Day of Defeat, I was always much better at trying to secure objectives and do something for the team or like capture the flag where it's like, it doesn't matter if I get killed 50 times, as long as I get to that fucking flag and have a way to, to run back, like that's all that matters because that gets us the points. And so th- I think I think that's why I don't connect with those genres, but I do with something like Overwatch because there's more to the game than just how good of a shooter you are. It's, it's, there's a lot more to that and a lot more strategizing, I think. Totally agree. The last time we played Overwatch, they made you lock into what kind of character you're going to play, and I just hated that. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't played it since that since that changed yet. Oh, it, it sucks. Like, you have to choose if you're going to be a healer, a DPS, or a tank, and then, like, for me, part of the enjoyment of the game is seeing what the other team is doing and choosing a character that will counter that. Like, if I have to be Reinhardt and put up the shield, hmm. you know, that's great. If I need to be someone with mobility, like, get Hanzo out and yeah. blast some people with some arrows from the fringe... Great. Like, I like to read what the other teams do. I don't like being locked into a class. Like, I get that they want teams to be balanced mm-hmm. and have these different roles, but, like, if I commit to being a tank and we need another healer, like, I could could have switched to a healer and yeah. helped the team that way. Well, and some of the most effective games I've had in Overwatch are when, okay, we've hit a wall here, switch to Farah, and then just freaking rocket the shit out of these guys and push us through to the end of the objective, you know? The official OIO stance is Battle Royales are dumb, Overwatch is cool. Yeah, I think so. I think I, I can I can stand by that. Although I do have to say, since my cousin works for PUBG Corp, PUBG is the best Battle Royale game. Overall, I think it's been a pretty good year for games, but there's only so much time to play games. There have been some disappointments and just games that didn't count and become a priority for us. We're not here to crap on any games. We have a lot of respect for the time and effort that goes into making games. But we thought we might talk a little bit about some of the games that just either let us down or didn't make it into our system this year. Even someone like me who has no family, you know, a job that typically ends at five, and like even I don't have enough time to play all the games out nowadays. There's a ton of great options. I'm going to start with one of the biggest disappointments for me this year. Like, I don't know if it got killed in reviews or not, but I know that it didn't fulfill my expectations, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 on the Switch. Ultimate Alliance is a brawler with tons of Marvel characters. I was a huge fan of the original game. I didn't like the second one as much, though it added a nice layer of polish that was lacking from the first game. I bought Ultimate Alliance 3 on launch day. I played a little bit of it with Phoenix. We played the first couple of boards, and it just didn't grab us. So I I had the first Ultimate Alliance. That game was awesome. It was the first game I owned on 360. But I actually played more of the precursor games, like X-Men Legends. Those games were awesome, too. Yeah, I played a lot more of those. I played a little bit of Ultimate Alliance. I was intrigued by this, but yeah, from what I've heard also, a lot of people did knock it in that it didn't seem like the characters were different enough from each other. I heard there was also a lot of just poor, like, old-school game design, and it just didn't... 
didn't feel like a modern game, and mm-hmm. it just it didn't wow us. And in this era, like you got to be awesome to compete with some of the games we're going to talk about later. Well, and with the way Nintendo goes, I'll probably never buy it because it won't be to that cheap enough level where it's like, okay, twenty bucks, I'll buy Ultimate Alliance. There are very few games where I have buyers remorse for Marvel Ultimate Alliance paying full price on launch day. Oh wow, that would be one. That's saying a lot. Yeah. The next title on our list, thinking outside the box with the next one. See what I did there? I, I saw what you did there. I went, I went towards the outer <laughs> limits. The outside is overrated. The yeah, outer wilds. Yeah. The outer wilds. Yeah. Yeah. I was saying words that started with out. Oh, I, 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 yeah. I, I followed. Yeah. You smiled. I you did appreciated smile. the effort. I did. The outer wilds, not the outer worlds. It's as confusing as it can get with this. It's like almost all the letters are the same. Uh, but the Outer Wilds... Take place in space. Yeah, that is true. The, the Outer Wilds, the way to break this down, I think, in the easiest way possible, is you know what No Man's Sky is, right? I think everyone does. So yeah, so instead of having this huge, randomly generated universe, what if this took place in one solar system... All of the planets were handcrafted by the developers, and they're all linked around this weird story about different kind of dimensions and things that are going on under the surface, literally, that you're not 100% sure about. And that's what The Outer Wilds is. It's one of the games that, as you start to hear places like Giant Bomb, Game Informer, all these other places talk about their game of the year... Outer Wilds is going to be one of those indie games that's going to be constantly mentioned for being in the top of the list. And it's just one of those things where I never saw it on the store and just never had it in my mind when I was looking for a new game to play. And now it's to the point where I've got so many things piled up, I'm probably never going to get to it. But it sounded really intriguing and interesting. It has space travel, which is really intriguing to me, has lots of physics-based and survival-based types of things, which I've been enjoying in some games. And so it's one of those things that, if it sounds interesting to you from what I've explained it, look into it some more and maybe pick it up, because it's supposed to be one of the top games of the year. Ironically, I was just listening to the Game Informer show this morning that talked about The Outer Wilds. They gave it a 7.75. Okay. It was reviewed by former Game Informer editor J.V. Gwaltney. That's why he got fired. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I'm kidding. That, that's very mean. <laughs> Hopefully he found a new gig somewhere. He did. Uh, he said that there were a lot of elements to like it. It had a lot of great ideas, but there was just... At, towards the end game, it required a lot of precision, and there were a lot of just like unfair deaths, and like it just got a little frustrating for him down the stretch. Yeah, I'm never going to play it either. It sounds like yeah. a cool thing. Maybe I'll watch a video of someone playing it. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm glad it exists. Hopefully the sequel is awesome and maybe I'll play that. Speaking of sequels, oh. Crackdown 3 came out this year. I love the first game. It was one of the most surprisingly fun games I have ever played, like out of all video games. I remember we got a demo of it with, I believe, Halo 3 early on in the Xbox 360 Live mm-hmm. where you got to play, I think, an hour of it. And it was just awesome. Now, the second game in the series fell completely flat for mm-hmm. me. I can't remember exactly why I hated it. I think uh, in the first game, you could go anywhere. You could like you had this big list of guys to knock off and this big hierarchy. And if you wanted to, you could go and take on like the first underboss right away. Like, in theory, you'd chip away at all the people under him to chip away at his 
infrastructure and support network, but if you wanted to, you could go right for the big guns and try to knock them out. I think in the second game, that kind of stuff was gated off, and mm. the impression that I have from the second one was that it sucked and I hated it. <laughs> That's never a good impression to have of anything. Truly. I had a degree <laughs> of interest in returning to the series with the third entry, but I don't remember the reviews blowing me away, so I just don't, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to it, because it... I'm at a point where I only want to play awesome games. I use only yeah. so much time for gaming, and I don't want to play something that's just okay. Well, for me, I've never played any of the Crackdown games because they're all on Xbox, and I've not owned an Xbox console since the original Xbox. I always say don't play old games. I would go back and dabble with the first Crackdown to okay. see if I still enjoy it, to see if it still has the same magic for me. Well, that, that could be something that maybe you have to show me at some point then. Oh, I'll show you many things. Yeah, but so even... Um, Man Pex himself, Terry Crews, couldn't, uh, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't entice you to play the game? The downside of doing an audio podcast is that you can't see Joey playing with his own Pex impersonating Terry Crews. That was, he has made my day, my friend. Well, I'm not, I'm not talented enough muscular-wise to be able to do it, so I had to do it with my hands. I had to flop my own tots. Did you know that he actually supported himself as an artist? Like, as a painter? Oh, really? Yeah, we, uh, I think it was at the Science Museum, they did an exhibit on video games, and, like, there was an interview with him, and he tried to be an NFL player, and he was a fringe NFL player, and he made training camp a few places, and, uh, the way that he supported himself and his wife was through his art, like, other players would find out that he was this great artist, and they would commission paintings from him. And then he became Terry Tate off as linebacker. Yeah. <laughs> It's the craziest thing. Anyways, back to video games. (laughs) Was it this year or last year that we crossed Ghost Recon off our list? That was this year. It was this year. We started playing it last year. Then about mid-year, we finished it off. And then later this year, Ghost Recon Breakpoint came out. Yeah, and it just isn't good from what I've heard a lot of people say. It has... they, They made some changes. They tried to play into more of the survival aspects of Ghost Recon? Nope, I'm out. Yeah, and, and and supposedly they didn't go far enough to really entice people along those lines, and supposedly there has been nothing but problems with a lot of the online play, and uh, Ubisoft has been like, okay, this is our new plan to try to address these issues. They've pushed off like their planned post-game content to try to fix a lot of things, but the game just didn't quite capture people. It's not one of the top-selling games of the year like Ghost Recon Wildlands was. I think they just made some changes, took some risks that just didn't pay off. And Did they take risks or do you think they rushed it? Because this came out roughly two years after Wildlands. I mean, it could be, it could be a bit of both. I think from what I heard from what, what some people have said about it was that they had a lot more things in there and they ended up scaling back a lot to try to get it finished. And I'm guessing that they just they just ran into a wall where it wasn't coming together. And and that's the thing. Some games come together at the last minute, and that's just how they work, and some games don't. Like Dragon Age Inquisition famously was a crap game until all of a sudden, a month before they were releasing it, it clicked, and everything just worked. Last of Us was the same way. Like Naughty Dog was scared shitless about that game because they're like, this is not up to Uncharted standards. And then all of a sudden, two months before release, like somehow everything came together to the point where it just clicked. And some games, they just don't get to that point. I think that's Breakpoint. 
That makes me think of the interview I did with Sam Churchin earlier this year. He worked for Xbox for a long time. He said that Mass Effect, the original title, was not fun until very late in the development. Yeah. And it was very rough. But he said Gears of War was always fun. Like, it always had the magic right from the beginning. It's fascinating how some of those games work that way. It is. I'm going to lump two together here pretty quickly for the sake of time. Rage 2. It's an open-world shooter with some light RPG elements. I never played the first one. I've had a really memorable advertising campaign with uh, Blake Griffin, the basketball player, and he slammed it on the basketball, and it was like a Rage Tiger or something. Seriously? Yeah. (laughs) I don't remember that. Leading up to the game's release, I was intrigued by the improvements to this one, uh, but there are probably a dozen other shooters I'd rather play, so I'm just never going to get to Rage 2. Yeah, I mean, it's... I think it's one of those things where coming out the same year as Borderlands 3, and it tried to go aesthetically in a direction like Borderlands is, and from what I've heard, Borderlands 3 is just a better playing game and more cohesive game for the most part, and so it kind of lost out in that sense to me. It's too bad. I mean, I'm sure they worked real hard on it. Mm-hmm. It's nice that I got a second entry, but it's not for me. Elder Scrolls Online, elsewhere. I love Elder Scrolls. I love RPGs. I love MMORPGs. And if this had come out at a different time in my life, I could see myself just going nuts with it. But I didn't play elsewhere. I haven't played Elder Scrolls Online. I haven't mm-hmm. played any of the expansions, and I just don't know that I'll ever get to them. Yeah, I've had friends that got into it for a while, way back when, before Elsewhere. At that point, I started playing Final Fantasy XIV, and you can't really play more than one memorable. So you just got you just got to commit. You talked about the next title a little bit earlier, Resident Evil 2, the remake. It's one of those games that has been lauded as not just being a good remake of a good game but being a fantastic game in its own right and one of the uh games done quick games that i watched this last year was a speed play of resident evil 2 remake it's just so fun and it's i think it solves the problems i had with resident evil and i'm hoping that this is the first game in the series that i'm actually able to really get into since i played resident evil 5 co-op five, six, seven years ago. So I'm really hoping, I, like I said, I bought it on the sale. Really excited to get into, into it. It's one of those other games that a lot of people are probably going to have it in their top one, two, three, four games of the year, even though it's just just a remake of a classic game. The Sinking City. This game sounds like a cool adventure horror game with a Lovecraftian setting. You're like a detective. You go into a town. You're trying to solve some mystery. Intriguing setting. It mm-hmm. came out on June 27th for PS4, Xbox, PC. Super intriguing setting, but reviews talked about bugs and tedious gameplay moments that just kind of scared me off. So I'm, I'm really disappointed that this game wasn't a cool little indie thing that struck it big. Well, now, at what point is like there too much Lovecraftian things out there? There isn't a lot in the video game space. I guess that's true. Uh, like Bloodborne was one, but like board games, it's Jesus like... That's its own one-third of the board game industry is Lovecraft. It's like you need more imagination to make it work. Like, apparently seeing it on a screen just doesn't do Lovecraft justice. Yeah, I mean, that could be the case. One last game that I want to talk about here. And I know I said we didn't want to crap on games. We have a lot of respect for the effort that goes into games. Anthem came out on February 22nd. They did a demo... Uh, a couple weeks before it came out, I think it was early February, and you and me and Lance and Eric, I think, got yeah. together and played it. Oh, man. The demo was rough. Well, because at that point, it was like, 
The this game was could, coming out. Like, this it, could be the next Wildlands for us. This is the next game we could play through together. It was bad. It had so much squandered potential. Like it's a squad-based shooter game. So you have your little team of four guys. You're all in like Iron Man suits. Yep. There's three different types of suits to choose from, and it just it didn't work. And I don't understand. Bioware made it, and they have a great pedigree. Mm-hmm. EA is a big company with so many resources. Like, how did this go so wrong? Well, lots of poor decisions made at times. Lots of things where it really came down to we need to get this game out this fiscal year, so it has to come out when we said it's going to come out. And even if it sucks? Like, even if it sucks. And then they just bailed on it right away. Yeah. Like, oh, man. Supposedly they still have, because... So Anthem was being developed by the OG Bioware team in Edmonton and then also the Austin studio. So apparently the Austin studio is still working on it, but the Edmonton team, the main Edmonton team, has gone on to the next Dragon Age game, which supposedly is the, if Dragon Age 4 doesn't work... They're probably done. There is no more Bioware in existence. And so, I mean, not to put any pressure on them, but it, it sucks that it comes to that. But having two games in a row that just have fallen with Mass Effect Andromeda, just falling way short of expectations and not delivering, doesn't look good for Electronic Arts. It doesn't look good for Bioware. And it means people are going to lose jobs, which yep. sucks. You know, it's a bummer that not all games can succeed, but, mm-hmm. you know... Anthem just came out as a hot, buggy mess, and yeah. it's just, it's sad, because that game had potential for greatness. Well, and it's like, the flying was really great, and then you choose to make me overheat so I can't fly. Like, come on. It's just so frustrating. So many decisions that were made. It's just, it just didn't come together. Frustrating. That's enough of the negativity. It's a bummer that not everything works out. Now we are going to dive into what we consider the best games of 2019. I think we have some really killer titles on here. I'm going to kick it off with something I don't think you played and that I've just put a couple mm-hmm. hours into, Borderlands 3. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to pick it up yet. What do you think? I like it. It uh, it feels like more Borderlands, which sounds like a damning thing, but Borderlands 2 <laughs> was an awesome game. Yeah. This is a little bit more polished. The characters are still over the top. You're going to go to other planets. That uh, seems like it's going to be pretty interesting. The four characters that you get to choose from seem pretty cool. I chose a kind of a gadget guy, and instead of using grenades, I get to use two active skills. Oh, cool. Which is the first for the series. So uh, one of the ones I chose is a decoy where a hologram of the dude stands there shooting and does a little bit of damage, and like the enemies focus on him so you can move around, get to a better position, and blast them. And the other ability I chose was a shield that you can shoot through, but enemies can't shoot you through it. Oh, cool. I- I've heard that they've done a lot with the, the tech tree, experience tree, where you can do a lot more customization, kind of going down certain paths and picking different things, a little bit more so than what Borderlands 2 did. Is that what you've seen so far? or I'm not far enough in to okay. really see it. I only made it up to like level 5, so I'm still oh, gotcha. in the first tier of the skill tree yeah. that I got to, but... I really enjoyed it, and I think it'd be a lot of fun to tear around in with my friends. I just, I thought a lot of cool games came out this year and kind of pushed it down the list for me. Yeah, uh, and it, it it came out at right at the wrong time when everything was coming out for me. So yeah, this had been like a spring title. I think it would have really killed it this year. Yeah, your first entry into the best games of the year, Judgment. What yeah. is Judgment? So Judgment is the 
non-Yakuza Yakuza game from the developers of the Yakuza series. Why don't they just do another Yakuza game? Well, they're doing that too. Uh, and, and it's going to be completely different than the other ones, which is another completely different side story that we'll talk about in the games of 2020 whenever we talk about that. But One year from now. Yeah, so Judgment takes the basic mechanics of Yakuza using the most recent engine from Yakuza 6, and instead of telling the story of being a criminal in the criminal underworld, you are a detective trying to solve murders. Uh, your whole thing is that you're this detective slash lawyer that apparently in Japan, 99% of crimes that go to trial end up in finding the person guilty. And this guy actually was able to get someone acquitted for a crime. So he got this huge notoriety. Then, which I think the game is trying to show that it was framed, that person who he got acquitted ended up getting arrested for murdering somebody else, and it put like a, a shame on his sort of on so his name and his lawyer career ended. So he became a detective, and he helps out like his old law firm as well as some yakuza types to try to help navigate through this series of things that are happening within Camarocho, which is where the majority of the yakuza series takes place. So it's interesting because you're going through a very similar environment if you've played any of those other games. And you're playing the game in some ways very similar to Yakuza where you're doing the brawling and you get like the heat meter and you're bashing people. But what's different is instead of committing crimes, you're trying to solve crimes and you're trailing people to get like to get intel on them. And it's just a really interesting story. It still has some of the really kooky side stuff that the Yakuza series has. And I really enjoyed it. I played about 15 hours of it. It's one of those that I hope to eventually get back to sometime soon and finish it. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really well done. It looks really good, uh, which I really couldn't say of a lot of the other Yakuza games I'd played before. Yeah, it's fantastic. Sounds really interesting. It had fallen completely off my radar. Once you started explaining it, I'm like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing about that. Yeah. Sounds really cool. Astral Chain. Came out on the Switch earlier this year. I've never been a big fan of like stylish action games, but this one really grabbed me. Yeah, I wrote. I did not write about it on the site. I took extensive notes on my first three hours <laughs> of it, so I could write about it for the site. Never really got around to it. The fighting and the traversal were both a lot of fun. Your basic weapon converts between melee and range, so you can change it on the fly based on what you're fighting. There's lots of things to upgrade. You can upgrade the melee capabilities of your weapon. You can upgrade the ranged abilities of your weapon. You can upgrade your armor, and you summon these uh, astral things that fight for you. You can upgrade all of them. If I didn't have a million hours of RPGs to get through (laughs) on my Switch, this would be a game that I would just be going crazy for right now. Yeah, it's one of those games where, as as I listened to quite a few podcasts, and as, at the very beginning of the game especially, like people were so in love with it and so in love with it, and I heard it kind of trailed off near the end of the game a little bit. Interesting. Yeah, I heard from a, like a story standpoint, some of it just starts to fall apart, and some of like the combat just starts to get a little too samey near the end. But overall, in general, it's still a really cool game, and they do lots of interesting things. Platinum Games, the developer of it, this is kind of one of the deeper stories that they've done in a lot of games. I mean, Mir has a lot of stories to it, but that wasn't just Platinum. That was also Yoko Taro. And so it's one of those that I'd like to try. It's, I just don't play the Switch that much. There's just so much else. I mean, that seems like we're saying that with so many of these games, but... Yeah, I thought it was super cool. Yeah, yeah, I'd definitely like to try it at some point. Samurais are also cool. 
See what I did there? I guess. Yeah, I'm going off notes here. I'll bring up something we talked about earlier. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't know where you were going. In March of this year, Sekiro came out. <laughs> I am not a good Souls player. I have not beaten the first Dark Souls, so I haven't played any of the other ones in the series because that's how my brain works. But I started playing Sekiro this year because it's the first in its own series, and it is awesome. Like, visually, just absolutely stunning. It's very... Soulsy with kind of a fresh take on the combat. It's, in Souls, one of the predominant strategies is sword and board. You put your shield up, yep. you wait for an opening, you exploit that opening. In Sekiro, it's a lot more, uh, if I recall correctly, dodge and parry based. Mm-hmm. And it just, it was everything that I hoped for, and I had high expectations for that game. So, did you find that the kind of the big mechanic about it was the ability that, like, you strategically almost die at points? So that when you come back to life, you could deal, like, a killing blow on your enemy? I felt like that was overblown. Was it? Okay. You couldn't do the killing blow on, like, the bosses uh, for lesser, like, minion foes you could. But, I don't know. You get a grappling hook for your arm. It's just, it's stylish and it's cool. I found that the three games that I'm most into this year are all very, very stylish. Which would be Sekiro, Astral Chain, and one we're going to get to in just a little bit. Okay. Interesting. Apparently, you like puzzles. Well, so, another game that has a lot of style to it is Return of the Obra Dinn. And it's a really interesting game. So, the guy who created it, you ever heard of Papers, Please? Yes. I think I might have talked about it, because Papers, Please is one of my probably top ten games of all time. That game came out around the time that we were doing the Goon Game cast. Yes, way back when. Way back when. So I played maybe two minutes of it. Okay. I've... But I'm familiar with the premise, like, Papers, Please, you're playing as an immigration officer, yep. and people are bringing all the stuff up, and you have to evaluate whether or not they get to come into the country. Yep, and then the thing that he does in that game such a good job of, and in this game even a better job of, is telling a story around kind of what you would think would be maybe a more mundane kind of job that you're creating. So you're actually meeting some of these same people over and over again in the in papers, please. So Return of the Obra Dinn, you play basically an insurance adjuster. This ship, the Obra Dinn, has come, been towed back into port, and everybody on the ship is either missing or dead. And what you need to do is you need to try to figure out what happened on the Obra Dinn. Sounds dark. And and it's interesting. It does have a really, I don't know if you'd like it or not. It has a weird graphic style in that it's very, it's monochrome and it has different filters that you can change between to make it look like a different old school PC game. But the graphics actually look really crisp and interesting. They're just in a very monochromatic style. I'll give it a chance. I mean... I've seen pictures of it, and I don't know. We'd see if it grabbed me or not. So what happens is you get to this boat, and you have this pocket watch that will vibrate at specific times that will allow you to go back into time to try to see what happened. And for the most part, when that goes off, it's when you will go up to, say, you're on this ship, and there's a skeleton there. You go up to it, the pocket watch starts to go, you click it, and you go back into time. You're seeing a black screen, and you hear voices talking, and then you'll hear whatever it was, a gunshot or a crack or whatnot, and then you're seeing a still image 
of what happened, usually with the person that you had found their body, them dying. Mm. And so what you're doing is you're looking at the scene, looking at all the people that are involved, and then you have a picture of what the entire crew was, and you're trying to piece together who is getting killed, who killed them, and how they died. And as you get sets of threes of those correct, so when you get three people correct, it will then fill in uh, like in ink that this is what happened. The captain died because of this or whatever. And then after you see that image, you will find another body and you will see another segment. And all of this starts to flow into this linear story, but you're finding it at different parts of it. It's just really fascinating how you get these dribbles of story throughout it. And eventually it's going to create this entire through line from beginning to end of what happened with the Oberdin from when it left port to then when either everybody abandoned ship or had died on the ship. And it's really fascinating. I'm about a third of the way through, I think. It's just really, it's an interesting mechanic. It's very unique, which I think is what appeals to me. I really like liked his first game so that also appeals to me so i'm probably a little biased in that standpoint but it's just a really interesting game it's far out there and i enjoy it a lot and it is puzzly which does play into some of my sensibilities a little bit so all right sounds cool i'd like to check it out yeah that's the return of the overdin speaking of games that are out there and weird and just mind-boggling let's talk about death stranding Yes, let's. I made you put it on the back burner last month. Yeah. Let's dive in. Kojima. Mm-hmm. I don't know a lot about Kojima other than he did Metal Gear. Is that like his claim to fame? Is that how he rose to prominence? Was it just the Metal Gear series? Uh, yeah, his- he'd done some other things. He did Stalker was a very famous game in like the Commodore 64 era. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was one that was well renowned, but it was really his claim to fame was the Metal Gear Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid series. Sure. So he worked on that series for a long time, created some truly spectacular yes. games. I think that Metal Gear Solid Five might be one of the best games ever made, mm-hmm. especially from like a pure gameplay standpoint. Uh, Metal Gear Solid Five historically seems like it has an unfinished story in it. From what a lot of people have said, I haven't, I haven't finished, I haven't played five yet. And it's interesting because he, Kojima has that history of being the developer shackled to the computer by the evil, like, production company. And And he had a very, very messy divorce from Capcom? Nope. Uh, Konami. Konami, yeah. Yeah. It had a cuss out. It had a cuss out. Yeah, super duper smart. (laughs) And it's one of those things where... Other than PT, the playable trailer for the Silent Hills game that was canceled after he left the company, it didn't ever seem like he was given as much creative freedom as he wanted, which seemed to be the biggest sort of fighting point between Kojima and Konami. And so now, Kojima is given free reign. Basically, once he left Konami, he's given a blank check by Sony to make the game he wants to make. No, like, very limited constraints. Like, do what you want to do. Take as much time as you want to do. Konami wanted to produce games that sold and made a bunch of money. He wanted to create art, it sounds like. Well, and Konami also has done lots of weird things where they're taking all of those properties and making pachinko machines off of it. And Konami's a really weird company. They didn't make games for a while after... Metal Gear survived. Like, there was a year where they didn't put out anything, really. 
and now they've been putting out collections of things to try to get more money off of the Castlevania name. I mean, Konami has so many, like, big, big franchises, and they just don't seem to capitalize on them very well. So now we have Kojima. He's out there. He's untethered. And he comes up... He always comes up with these kooky reasons for trying to make a game, or these things that are his touchstones for it. And his whole thing with this came from some Japanese poem about the rope and the stick and how the rope connects us, but it can also be used as a weapon against us. And that the stick we can use as a tool, but we can also use it as a weapon against each other. And I mean, whatever, you know, say what you want to say, Hideo. But then he starts showing trailers of Norman Reedus naked with a baby and then Guillermo del Toro, who we worked on with the PT Silent Hills thing, holding a baby in a jar, and then you got Mads Mikkelsen coming after him with tanks and all this inky stuff all over the place. And then I didn't watch any of the trailers. And then now you've got Norman Reedus walking with a bunch of crates on his back through this wasteland wilderness of the United States of America, and it's like what the fuck is this game as they're continuing to reveal this stuff? And like I said on the last podcast, that is the game. Like the game is this. The whole point of the game is that you're trying to reconnect the United States after the death stranding happened. I still don't know. I'm not far enough into the game yet to find out what the death stranding is. I don't even know if they ever really fully explain it. But this big thing happened. America and the world had gotten to this point where, like, the AI singularity happened. And technology was, like, working one and one with us, making our lives so much better, so much easier. We were able to do so much. And then the Death Stranding happened, and the world kind of fell back into this sort of, like, fell back through time. And, And things just fell apart. People segmented them uh, themselves off. It talks about prepping, like doomsday prepping, and that people that the people that survived did a good job of prepping, and the people that didn't, well, they didn't do a good job. They died, and so it's like all these people have enough supplies for some. They've been able to scrounge supplies because they're good at it, and live sort of on their own and become self, you know, sufficient. And the whole point of the game is that. We need to unite the people back together and that we need to have this system linked up from the East Coast to the West Coast so that America cringe can become great again. Not necessarily how they say it, but that's basically what the direction is that they're going in. And you're using this pseudo technology, pseudo um, psychic network to try to reconnect the world together the whole gameplay is what they showed in the gameplay trailers where you play norman reedus who is sam porter bridges who works for bridges and he is a porter he takes packages from one place to another and is reconnecting these places then that he visits to this chiral network and it like all of this as i explain it like I've explained this game to you. Are you eager to play it? Like, does this sound interesting at all? Nope. Hard pass. So so that's the thing. And if I were listening to myself without playing it, I would probably say the same thing. 
But then, like, you actually play the game. And the way that it feels to do the things, no matter how mundane it sounds, is just really interesting. And So it's interesting to walk from point A to point B. It, it is, though, because of the way that they've gamified the process of finding things that were lost. When you turn things in at these different places, you make them better. And you see, like once you connect these places to this chiral network, that's when the Dark Soulsy shared online experience comes in. So once you link them up with the chiral network, everybody's contributions to the world show up. So before, when you're going through this wilderness and it is just this wasteland area that you're trying to navigate through while carrying a hundred kilograms of stuff on your back and it's, it's difficult. And then what happens is these shadow beings, the BTs come out and you got the little aura deck that's up above your shoulder, the flashy thing that's from the things. Joey is flapping his hand right now. Because that's what it does. It sits on your shoulder and it, it flaps in the direction that these shadow beings are in. And you are then without really... Be, sometimes you can see the outline of these things. And you slowly navigate away from them. And then, oh, it flips over here and there's one over here. And you're surrounded by these beings that you can kind of see and kind of can't. And it is... It is so, like, tense, and you're hitting the different buttons to do the different things. Like, you're trying to stabilize yourself, so you're holding an R2 and L2 in order to balance yourself better. You're holding in R1 to try to hold your breath so that you don't make noise, because these things can't see you, but they can hear you. And you're crouching so that you're, you can walk slowly through the wilderness and try to avoid them. And all of a sudden, oh shit, there's one over here. And you see it flap over there, so you move this way. But you knew there was one over here. And the closer you get to one of them, it keeps switching. It is so, it's just so weird. I've never played a game and had like an experience where like you're just so focused on trying to get through that. And like that sense of relief once you kind of get out of where all of that stuff is happening and then you connect this place that you were just traveling to and you went through like all of the strife to get to you connect this place to the network you come out there's bridges <laughs> built that go all the way across to an area and there's climbing ropes and ladders placed that other people in the world have left there so that other people could use it to get to other areas and it's just this really strange and fascinating thing and then you run into where people have put things and it's like, well, I want to build something there. So do I destroy this thing that somebody else built? Which means it destroys it for everybody to build the one thing I want to build or do I find somewhere else to put my thing? It's, hey. just, it's just such a weird, interesting thing. And I'm, I don't know. It's one of those things where every time I've played it, I've enjoyed it more and more. And I don't know if that's going to finally fall off a cliff at some point or if it's just going to keep growing to the level where it's like, I want to build up my relationship and my ranking with all of these places and try to make them as good as possible. And I want to build this bridge from this point to this point so that when other people get here, they can easily get back. Like I could, you know, it's just, it's a really weird, interesting, fascinating thing. And I just don't know. I still don't know exactly what I think about it yet. And I, it's, it's just such a unique gameplay experience. 
It sounds like it would be a very cool VR experience. Mm. Like it sounds. It would be interesting. That would be very freaky. shit. Holy crap! Would that be freaky if you got those the BTs around you with that? Uh, meanwhile, you got your BB on your chest, and you have to like soothe it every now and again mm. by rocking the controller back and forth. Um, nope. <laughs> it's it's such a weird, and, and it has like the typical Kojima like kitsch factor. Some people's sensibilities are probably going to hate some of just the weird things. And, 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 but some of it is just so funny. Like, you know who Jeff Keighley is, right? The guy that does the game awards. Like, he's in the game. And you run into him and you find stuff for him and you help him. And it's just the weirdest, stupidest, goofiest thing. And there's so many just weird little Easter eggs in everything that's written. And, and, and you know, you go back to your room and you drink Monster Energy Drink to get more stamina. And boo product placement. You uh unless it's placed at Premier Health. The last thing PremierHealth.org. PremierHealthMN.com. MN.com. Wow, I'm terrible. Yeah. yeah thanks. <laughs> thanks for helping. I tried and then realized I failed. Last thing I want to say about it. See if this sways you. You're making weapons out of whatever you can, kind of, right? At first they because the, the the character you play has this stuff in his blood that is, like, anti to these beings that are floating in the world, the BTs. And so we're going to try to find a way to weaponize that, of course. So you shower for the first time in the game, and then you get these EX bombs. Do you have to move the controller all over your body to simulate washing yourself? No, you just go in there, and then it it goes through the cutscene, and then all of a sudden on the side there's just these vials that come out, and they fill with this cloudy white water and it's an EX bomb zero from you know the sweat and everything that you washed off your body so then you take a pee in the toilet there and the thing comes out and it fills with this yellowy substance and you created EX bomb number one because it's made of your urine and then you sit down on the toilet and you you know take a crap that creates EX bomb number two. Are we done talking about this? <laughs> it's just so ridiculous and so weird and so fascinating. I don't know if it's going to be the greatest game of all time, my favorite game of the year, or just fall off a cliff and be like, ah, that was something I experienced and I hope I never experience it again. I, I don't know. It sounds like you're enjoying it, and I will say that your interest in it intrigues me. <laughs> I mean, Eric's been playing it nonstop, too, apparently, so it'd be interesting to see what he thinks about it also. No doubt. So we talked about Jedi Fallen Order. Good sales number. I haven't played it yet. You're a couple hours in. We're both super excited for this game, and by all accounts, it sounds like it's going to be one of the great titles of this year. Yeah, it's one of those things where the mechanics are going to matter, and I'm just jumping between a couple of different games, and so trying to really learn like the blocking and parrying that I'm going to need to do within that, as well as the traversal stuff... I just I know I need to wait until I finish the couple of things that I'm really playing right now to dig my hooks into it. But I think I'm gonna like it because I think it's gonna scratch that itch that like I said like with God of War and the combat and that. I think it's gonna end up feeling a lot like that. And I think I'm gonna really like it. I just need to dig into it more. I feel very similarly. Last month we talked about Fire Emblem Three Houses. I think that was the last episode, so I don't yeah. want to spend a lot of time talking about it. It's a cool game. I enjoyed my first few hours with it. You've enjoyed more of it. Yeah, I've, I, I've probably played 18 hours of it, something like that. And 
I'm really intrigued by the story and the things that are being set up that I think it's going to do. I hear it does lots of really crazy things after you get through to some decision points in the game. Uh, and, and so I really, that's another one of those that like is really in contention here. And I really want to see it through at least once. Because the other cool thing about it is it, you play through as one of the other houses and it's supposedly a very different story. Like what ends up like a lot of the main plot points still happen, but your role within that completely changes depending upon which of the three houses you're with. And then there's even a couple of other decisions within each house that changes the scope of the story moving forward. And so I'm really intrigued to not only play it once, but, but try to find a time where I can play it a second time and just see how different that is, because that I think could change my scope of where I think that game falls into there. But it's super well done. It plays really well on the Switch. And it looks amazing. It does. At this point in my life, I don't play games more than once. Like, <laughs> I will hopefully see it through to completion, and then I will move on to the next thing in my gigantic, gigantic stack of games. Yes. It looks like we only have two titles left. Yes. I'll go next with Control. Yes. I would explain Control as a shooter that combines the X-Files with Bioshock. Okay. You open the game, you're a female character named Jessie. You are confronting the Federal Bureau of Control. It's a government agency that documents and contains the paranormal. Somehow you're able to enter this building while it's in lockdown. Like mm -hmm. The whole building is shut down. There's uh, emergency lights going off everywhere. And you immediately start, she starts talking to someone. And it's like, are you talking to me as the character? Or like, do you have oh, yeah. symbiote? Or like, what's uh -huh. going on there? It turns out you have a being that lives in your head. Hmm. This is one of the coolest and most intense games I've played in ages. Okay. I got kind of a Dead Space vibe from it, only with less grotesque horror. As far as I got in the game, most of the enemies were just possessed humans. So it's like you're fighting these security guards that just, like, their heads are all red because they're infected by the hiss. You get some force-like abilities, like you're able to pick up items and hurl them at your enemies. Just, there's a lot to like here. The shooting wasn't terrific okay like if you compare it to like borderlands or far cry like you only have one gun that i'm aware of yeah i'm jumping ahead of myself we basically you become the leader of this agency because whoever holds the leader's gun becomes the leader of the whole agency and you walk in and he's dead and you pick up the gun and it imprints itself on you so suddenly you're the head of the federal bureau of control this agency that you are trying to essentially take down it's weird yeah. and it's just there's a lot of uh just a lot of like weird trippy stuff in it the building the building itself that the bureau lives in is called the oldest house and it's like this constantly shifting magical building it's like hogwarts the office building <laughs> that's where the wizards go to work right <laughs> totally and uh i'm not a big shooter guy but this game is like it's just so cool it's got like this wow factor that i just Love. I was playing this, I was playing Borderlands, I was playing some Xbox Game Pass, I was playing The Outer Worlds. This is the game that has gripped me most this year. And okay. If I had to choose one thing to go downstairs and play right now, it would be Control. Okay, cool. And you're playing that on Xbox? PS4. PS4, okay. Have you had any... Um have you, had, have you had any issues with frame rate, any of that stuff? Because I heard that's one thing where the game kind of hit some points. Granted, we're a few months away from when it released, so there's maybe some bugs that got patched and stuff like that. Frame rate works, but if you recall earlier in the show, I talked about a debilitating audio bug. Oh, this is that game? I put it in. I put the PS4 into rest mode when I stopped playing one night, and I picked it up the next day, and 
none of the audio, like none of the spoken audio work. Oh, like no. if I had that cutscenes on, like I wouldn't know people were talking to me at some point. Oh, no. Or like the main character was talking, and then they're like cutscenes, and like there's no audio. So I like, thank God for the subtitles. And like I went online to see if this was a common thing, and people are like, "Well, yeah, once that happens, you just have to play with headphones." I'm like, "My headphone for the PS4 is like an earbud." <laughs> so I'm like, "Oh god!" So I toughed it out for like two hours that way, and then I'm like, "You know, I'm not gonna keep doing this. I I'll try restarting the PS4, and if that fixes it, I'll play a little longer. And if it doesn't, I guess I'm done with control forever." And fortunately, restarting the PS4 fixed it. Oh, my God. What an immersion-shattering thing in a game that I was just absolutely hooked on. Like, I was so intrigued by, like, what was going on. Like, my gut tells me that none of it's real. That, like, this person is either on drugs or got hit in the head or, like, that she's just living (laughs) through this fantasy world in her head. But if it is real, I want to know how the hell all this stuff works. And, like, it's just, it's got such a cool X-Files vibe to it. Yeah. I am just enthralled with Control. I had high hopes going into it, and for the most part, it delivers. Yeah, that's one that was on my list of things that I really wanted to play but never was able to get around to it. I've gone to Redbox a couple of times to see if it was in there, but it's not. I don't know if I'm going to be able to rent it that way or if I'll just have to pick it up for the cheap uh, on the cheap somewhere. Go to your library. I guess that is, there is that, that too. That's I should where do I got that. it. I should do that one of these days. Um, but it, like, I was, I literally felt crushed. Because I was concerned that it sound like sounded like that game turned from being a game that you really loved into the quiet man, <laughs> literally. And I was so like crestfallen because I don't want anybody else to have to go through with that. <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad. Okay. I mean, it was a bummer to lose those sections of the story. A lot of this, like story stuff, you get as collectibles that you can rewatch later. Yeah. And there's really cool multimedia things. Like they do all these funny videos with the head of research at the Federal mm-hmm. Bureau of Control. And, uh, like, as the story drags on, he gets more bedraggled-looking. Okay. And, like, he gets very clearly frustrated with the bureaucracy of it. Like, okay. he's trying to tell you something. He's like, but that's classified. <laughs> so think of this think of this thing as, like, a life preserver. But instead of protecting you from water, it protects you from something that is classified. <laughs> this classified thing flows in and drowns us all. You'd be very happy to have it. And it's just, it's got a weird, it's got quirky humor and it... It's very, I can't really nail the style of it. It's not exactly, it's not an anime style. It's it's just, it's vibrant, and I love it. Interesting. Have you played a lot of the other games that they've made, like Alan Wake or Quantum Break? Alan Wake for at least a decade, and I've never actually fired it up. (laughs) Intriguing premise, you're a mystery writer whose wife goes missing, and you go to this town to look for her, and your novel, like, you're finding pages of your novel, mm-hmm. and apparently that unravels the mystery. Yeah. Super cool premise. Never got around to playing it. Yeah. I mean, from what I've heard is there's a lot of things that, like, they've tried to do with games, and it seems like Control was finally once, like, they finally hit the mark on all the things they were trying to do in a lot of the games previous that they just weren't quite able to get there yet. So, sounds super intriguing. It is super, super cool. Like, I'm five, six, seven hours into it, and I can't wait to play more. I think we just have one last game on our list for the best games of 2019. That we do. It's something that we have both played. You've never been a big Fallout guy, so I'm intrigued to know what you think of The Outer Worlds. I've always wanted to like Fallout, and I'll jump into the game and really enjoy it, and at some point, 10, 15, 20 hours in, I just fall away from it. 
it's it's like a combination of I kind of get what the gameplay is now, combined with now there's all these different things I can go out and do, and I just don't know where to go, so I don't want to do any of them. Hmm. And it's it's the strangest thing, and it happens in so many games. I can thankfully say that it has not happened with the Outer Worlds, and I am thoroughly enjoying the Outer Worlds. And resetting for just a moment, the Outer Worlds is an RPG set in space. You are a colonist whose ship got waylaid or mm-hmm. showed up late for the colony party by a hundred or so years. You're mm-hmm. thought out by a mad scientist, and then you go down and you start cracking some heads and taking it to the corporations that run the colony. The thing that really connected with me and... Knowing that this is the same, or a lot of the same people that worked on this worked on South Park, The Stick of Truth. The humor in this game, to me, is just so well done. There's so many different levels of humor. Like, there's the level of humor about what if corporations actually did, like, rule the galaxy... And everything is kind of wrapped around these corporate entities that are owning different parts of these worlds. And you have NPCs that will just be naturally talking to you and then be like, oh, yeah, well, you should try Spacer's Choice because it's the best in the galaxy. <laughs> and like always, It's not the best choice. It's the Spacer's Choice. It's the choice. Spacer's Choice. And there's just – and they find so many different ways with different characters to just riff on all of those things. And so have – how much, how much of the game have you played? I just unlocked the ship, so I am heading out okay. of Backwater, Edgewater. Edgewater. Heading out of Edgewater gotcha. and into the universe. So there's just some interesting things. And the fact that at that point, you technically can go lots of different places. It it's suggests to you, hey, you should go to Groundbreaker first. Uh, and then after that, it's really open as to you can go here first, here first, or, or here next, here next, or here next, kind of. Uh, but there's like a character that you meet... On the groundbreaker. I'm not going to spoil too much of it, but he works directly for Spacer's Choice. And it's very clear that you can tell that he works directly for Spacer's Choice the moment you see him. And he's just so beaten down by the fact that he's just through and through a company man, but he still just keeps towing the line. And you find on one of the terminals, he was still logged into it. And you see him, like, concerned about how he can't shut off this, like, company persona that he is. And, like, it's like him talking to his mom, telling her, I don't know if this is a cry for help or not, but I don't think I can stop being this guy. And then you go back and talk to him later, and it's, you have an option. Hey, you're still logged into this terminal. You might want to look into that to, like, help him out so that somebody else doesn't see it and he gets in trouble. And it's just, there's just so much of that. Like, one little thing that you do at the right time can then lead to unlocking this little option here, which isn't going to change anything with the arc of the story, but it changes that interaction with that character in your head, and that makes your story unique. And they do so much with the dialogue in the game and then leveling up the different attributes and giving you different options at different times. It's so interesting because I'll I'll hit something and I'll be like, oh, I'm 
like three hacking levels away from being able to do this cool thing at this terminal. And then I level up. It's like, okay, boom, boom, boom. I leveled up hacking. I'm going right back to that terminal to do it. And then you get there and you're like, oh, crap. I got to take off my heavy armor, put on my light armor, which kind of sucks in order to be able to like have the hacking skill. But anyway, there's just so much of that. And it it's just so intriguing to me and so interesting. And then... Have you seen at all anything about the supernova mode of the game? I guess that was an option when I started it up. So that sounds like another really interesting way, and I know you said you're never going to play another game another time, but I, th- I feel like there's enough decision points that you can make within the game. And like Edgewater gives you one of those where you have to make a very specific choice between whether you're going to help the town or help the rebels. And... Like, I sat there, and I'm like, which direction do I really want to go? Because I get weird vibes from fucking everybody. I don't know what's right and wrong, and really the answer is neither of them are right or wrong. It's just going to have a drastic impact to the game. So what did you do? Um, So I ended up, just because the guy with the bowler hat, Reed Thompson, just skeezed me out a little bit too much, I helped out the Rebels. Interesting. I hated him too but i decided to help the town because the companion pushed me towards it oh see and i got to that moment too and so that was really interesting because that almost swayed me back in the other direction and then i went above that and i replaced reed thompson with the uh, leader of the rebel camp i talked him into stepping down and oh seriously the uh camp person in charge that is so that's so that's so fascinating I'll say this, the game does an amazing job of making the dialogue interesting. RPGs yeah. like this can be real tedious with uh, conversations, oh, yes. and they keep it fresh and interesting and give you lots of fun options for things you can say and do, and like just talking to people in the game is a joy, which is not usually the case in a Fallout-style game. Yeah, and, and so with my scenario, I go back, Reed Thompson's pissed at me because I destroyed the town, basically, and then I get into a firefight because I have to get my thing to get my ship off the planet. And I have to fight him. I have to kill him. Huh. And it's just its just so weird. I got his hat. <laughs> awesome. I wonder where he's going to pop up and get in the story for right. me. I'm sure I'm going to run into him again. And, and so it's just and the fact. So this is one thing. And, and I think one of the reasons why I like this game so much is because I really, really like that aspect in games. And I want games to just go so deep into branching narrative branching narratives and player choice and having that have ripple effects not just at the beginning but all the way through and so i'm and that's why part of me is really fascinating more from just trying to understand how the game ticks to try to play through it again at some point in the future and just see how different things go by making these two different choices at this point and this point I don't know. It's just so interesting. And then which factions are you going to help? Which factions aren't you going to help? It really, it makes the dialogue a game in itself as opposed to just being window dressing, which it is in a lot of the other games. And I think that's one of the ways that it's super successful. Thinking back to Fallout 4 for a moment, like I beat that game, but I was done with it at some point in Mm -hmm. the middle. And eventually there's three big factions in there. One of them is run by your kid who is now older than you Uh uh, because you stayed in the vault longer. But uh, like what I hated was you had to choose one of those three factions and then you had to fight the other two factions to the death. I'm like, I spent a lot of time like building things up for these factions. Like I don't want to kill them. Right. Like, I don't know. Hopefully this game avoids that trap because it's, uh, 
the opening is very, very good. And I like space as a setting much more than nuclear fallout US, yeah. just because there's more variety, like mm-hmm. anything in space, theoretically. Super cool game. Combat was yeah. very Fallout-y. You don't mm-hmm. have the vats anymore, but you can dilate time. You can slow time down. Um, you get lots of healing packs. Like the first couple fights, I got my ass kicked. Yeah. But I don't know. It feels very Fallout, only funny, and it's a pretty awesome game. Which uh, which weapons do you find yourself gravitating to the most? I started with the shotgun. Like my best weapon skill is the long guns. Okay. So like. I'm hoping for a sniper rifle at some point, mm-hmm. but uh, I've been using assault rifle, a little bit of light machine gun, and the shotgun sucks. I don't like it very much. The cool thing, yeah, the shotgun sucks terribly. The sawed-off shotgun's bad, to the point where I haven't tried any of the other shotguns yet because I just did not like that one that much at all. Uh, once you get off the first planet, it starts to open up with other types of weapons that have elements to them and stuff like that. Yes. That's when it gets really interesting. Um and and then there's some special science weapons that you can find that are even more kooky and crazy and weird. So There's a lot of cool stuff in this game. Mm-hmm. It's very quirky and fun and weird. Those are our best games of 2019. Burnsy, pick it. What's your favorite game of 2019? Well, I'm going to have to lay down the gauntlet and say I cannot. So December, Come on, Burnsy, take a stance here. December for me is the knockdown, drag out battle royale where I'm going to play as much of these games as I have mentioned, and I'm going to see which one comes out on top. It's it's tough because I have, I I would say I've equally enjoyed the Outer Worlds and Death Stranding so far. So I really need to see those two through the end. Those two are like at the top for me. But like I said, I really want to go back through Fire Fire Emblem Three Houses. So it's like those three are probably the cluster on top. I would like to try Control. I just don't know if I'd ever get to it in time to really factor it in. So those three are kind of in the same spot. This is the month where Battle Royale, we'll see which one doesn't get thrown over the top rope and remains. What about you? Give me Control. Yeah? That's the game that I want to play. Unfortunately, I have a library copy right now. Usually I rely on you to buy new games, (laughs) finish them, and then give them to me. I still have your copy of Red Dead 2 that I haven't played, but uh, you gave it to me shortly after it came out last year. So we'll see. We'll talk again in February is the next time you'll be on the show. But, uh, I mean, it's not... I don't think 2019 compares to 2018 and the top, top games of the year. There's no Spider-Man. There's no God of War. What's the other one of the big three from last year? Well, Red Dead was one of them. Red Dead, of course. But there was a lot to sink your teeth into this year. Mm -hmm. I hope that people enjoyed our conversation. I hope that we are able to steer them away from some of the clunkers of the Mm -hmm. year or maybe some of the more disappointing titles. And hopefully you enjoyed hearing about the games that we are most excited for. Next month, next year, Tom and Phoenix will be back to talk about Star Wars in Episode 9. Thank you so much for listening. Please tell a friend and review us on your favorite podcast platform. You can follow us on social at Tom underscore underscore awesome on Twitter or at HobbyBoxBurns. That's Tom underscore underscore awesome or HobbyBoxBurns on Twitter. You can email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash outsidersoverrated or on Instagram at outside underscore overratedpod. Now, before we close it down, I wanted to say just a couple of thank yous for this year. Uh, did 12 episodes. Yeah. That is, you know, five more than I had done in the first three and a half years of this Congratulations. Effort. Yeah. 
thank you first to my co-host this year, specifically Joey. You've done four, five, six episodes. Thank you so much for coming along on these. It's been great being here. Hopefully you guys aren't annoyed with me. Thank you also to Phoenix and Scott for doing a couple of shows with me as well. To my friends who listen and who have told me about it, Aaron Liebhard, Scott Armitage, The Nerd Group, Scott, Billy, Brandon, Pat, and Casey, and Dunham, and everyone else that has taken the time to download, listen, I hope that you have enjoyed the show, and thank you so much for letting me know that you listen and that you like it. I want to thank my brother Jake, who downloads the show. He subscribes. It works. Uh, He's not a big gamer, so I appreciate just getting the downloads from him. I want to thank our sponsor, Premier Health, for supporting us and for giving me the motivation to get in front of the microphone every single month of this year. And last, and most importantly of all, I would like to thank my wife, Phoenix, for not only encouraging me to start Outside is Overrated, the podcast, for starting the website, Outside is Overrated, for buying the microphones, and (laughs) really just pushing me to follow this passion project because it's a fun thing that I enjoy to do. Uh, I am so lucky and so blessed to have her, and thank you so much, my love. That's going to do it for 2019. Thank you again so much for listening. We'll talk to you next year. Stay inside, kids. take a picture of us when I record so that I don't post it on social. Bum, bum, ba-dum, I think about posting it on social and I'm like, eh, I'm tired. You're a parent. You're supposed to always be tired. I am. There. I, got to, I got to fake look happy. Now I can go back to being and, around. And it says ho above your head. I'm a ho. Yeah. A ho for ho. show. <laughs> for show. Howard Pyle. I still think that 40-Year-Old Virgin is one of the funniest movies on the planet. 40-Year-Old Virgin's pretty good. Yeah. Have you have you ever gone to the point of hitting someone else with like a fluorescent, fluorescent, oh, easy to say, fluorescent light tube? No, but I intend to after the show. <laughs> you got some spare ones? Like a thousand. Well, let's do it. Let's do this. <laughs> this here. I feel like my transitions are really struggling this episode. So. So, you know, now. So. Well. Well. So. Now, you see, the thing is this. The dog that loves you still bites your hand every now and again. Yeah. Yeah, sweet, sweet man hand. (laughs) When you saw titles, I was hoping you were going to say titties. Just because that's what I saw when I saw. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, now I'll just start slipping titties into the show notes all over the place. And you won't know if it's for you or, or if it's just a typo. Because well, it's my, all for me. It's all for you. <laughs> <laughs>